welcome back to the dating game. Today's contestant here is a little princess close to all of our hearts. Welcome, Pocahontas. Oh my God, thank you for having me. It's like, it's really, really nice to be here. Um, let's get started. Great, Pocahontas. It's great to, it's great to have you here. Uh, all right, so we've got our three lovely bachelors over there on the other side of that wall. And you have the next 30 minutes to ask them any questions you want. Uh, let's get started. Um, okay. Um, bachelor number one, like you've just landed like a strange new world. What's your first impulse? Well, I would like to explore this land. Uh, maybe Ooh, yeah. see mm -hmm. what's going on with some of the, the natural parts of the world, maybe uh, spend some time getting to know the way that the water flows and the way that the flowers smell and, Ooh, uh, you know, perhaps uh, see if there's any, any new, new people to meet and make community with. That's, that sounds lovely. Some, some near and dear to my heart. Bachelor number two, same question. Well, first I want to know, is there any gold here? Because that's really what I'm after. If I can find some gold or like exploit some natural resources. Also, you know, if any of the indigenous people come around, I oh, might oh. just try to subjugate them and or murder them oh, if they get in oh, my way. Wow. You know? There's really, yeah, well, you know, it's manifest destiny. God wants me to have all these things. So, I mean, who am I to go against okay. the Lord's will? Oh, oh, wow. Um, okay. Um, bachelor number three, same question. Oh, wow. You speak straight from the heart. Okay. Okay. Um, last question. Uh, bachelor number one, we're going on our first date. Where are you taking me? Well, I know a nice river nearby where I think possibly we could have a picnic, uh, maybe oh. eat some some nuts and some berries, and then I love nuts and berries. Maybe we could go for a, just a nice ride down the river oh. and, and spend some time together, getting to know each other. Well, that sounds lovely. Okay, um, bachelor number two, the same question: Where are you taking me on our first date? Well, I'd probably just take you back where I came from, if I'm being honest, you know what I mean? Like, this place is fine. I guess there's some trees, hopefully some gold, but, you know, back in England, that's that's where it's really happening. So I'd, I'd probably just take you all the way back across the Atlantic. Very, uh, oh, wow, I've never been there before. Um, that sounds exotic. Okay, um, and bachelor number three, where are you taking me? Well, I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay, Pocahontas. You had our three handsome bachelors answer your questions. And now it's up to you to choose who you're going to go on your mystery date with. Oh, my God. It's such a, such a choice to make. I haven't, I haven't had such a choice to make in my entire life. I've just been a lonely princess over here in America. Um, so... I, I see that there's obviously a clear, clear front part of you. Somebody who's speaking with their heart. Somebody who speaks with confidence. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's easily bachelor number two. I'm going to Europe, baby. I'm getting on a motherfucking boat. Well, thanks. This has been The Daily Game. Another great pairing has been made here. Good night.
You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is the podcast where we deconstruct these white savior films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. And I'm the other one, Cameron Mason. And we've we've got a real interesting one because we're going back to your childhood today again, uh, <laughs> destroying a lot of the things that you used to love uh, through nostalgia. And, and, As and, we are wont to do. <laughs> looking at them again through... Uh, through not even just modern eyes, but adult eyes and eyes that have seen probably too much at this point with a lot of the movies we've watched. But, I can't scrub um, them out at this point. Yes, we are. We are very, very happy and excited to be joined today by our guest joining us all the way from the UK. Uh, they are a, a very, very talented uh, freelance film critic, TV critic, journalist, broadcaster. They do a lot of stuff specifically with like MTV UK, um, also have their own podcast two podcasts actually um one of them she's is... busy she's busy guys <laughs> uh one of them is uh, oh the first first club sorry and the fate to black podcast but uh, this is hannah flint hey nice to nice to have you yeah i as a freelancer it's like <laughs> the main way to be is booked and busy <laughs> yes 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 so yeah it's like let me just put my my paintbrush in all the pots for sure <laughs> just get that money <laughs> but no, yeah, thank I you mean... so much for having me and i love this subject because i think white saviorism is one of my biggest like cinematic pet peeves Ooh, and i find it so sad that even in 2022 we are still we love it's it. like whoa can't move <laughs> they're still here they're out here <laughs> it's kind of like evolved into like more like western saviors a bit more now mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like yeah like more, the mauritanian is like a perfect example of like um, this film about like it's all these you know about the Guantanamo Bay guys falsely in prison, but it's all about like the lawyers around him who are white and saving the day, you know. <laughs> so so yeah, so I'm excited to and talk and again, you know, ruin everyone's childhood, yeah. including my own. Yeah, ruin my childhood. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we've we've referenced some of your work before, specifically when we we're talking about Dune, um, and you know <laughs> yeah. some of the things that you wrote about that. So. Again, thank you for that. Um, but before we get started, uh, just a few questions for you, because I think it's always interesting when we're talking to people who who talk about media full time, right? Like they're entrenched in it. Uh, you know, they're watching TV, they're watching film, they're interviewing people. Um, you know, I write comics. And so when I read comics, sometimes it's just like, I can't turn my brain off. You know, Cameron is an actor. I'm sure sometimes when he's watching films, can't turn his brain off. Uh, but for you, oh, as yeah. somebody who's like, this is something that you enjoy, but also something that's like, I do this for a living. Like you said, there's there's a lot of pots that you got your hand into. Um, is it is it ever hard to kind of just sit down and enjoy something and watch something? And is there something recently that you've watched that you've been like, yeah, I was able to just kind of like tune it tune out you know my my critic brain my my analytical brain and just kind of sit and and enjoy it well the thing is for me growing up in with film watching film the enjoyment i got from it was always the discussion afterwards you know Mm. with my family that's what we love so the idea i don't know is it turning my critical brain off i don't think i do that because actually i feel like the more films i watch the more i expand on my craft of understanding what is 
what I'm seeing and understanding the kind of the technical narrative, like performance, things that have gone into it to make mm. it, to influence whether I enjoy a film or not. So, you know, at this point, as someone who watches about three or four films a week, if not right. more, and then all the TV shows, like, I've not got to a point where, you know, I, I, to be fair, there are some times where I'll watch a film and I'll be like, you know what? I've done 20 minutes. I don't need to watch the end of it. Like, I just, I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> that's, that's I mean, right. I feel like I don't need to, like, and this is like probably the most unpopular opinion in the world, but Paddington. It's Uh-oh. just not, Uh-oh. it's just not my tipple. Wow. <laughs> it's just not my tipple. I can't wow. get beyond that. That's the, like blasphemy, you know, in the, I know. In the cinema I know. world. Like, Paddington 2 is basically the Citizen Kane of you yeah. know, co- comedy. Well, this is what I'm bears. told. This is what I'm told. And I watched about 10 minutes. I was like, oh, God, it's too twee. I hate it. <laughs> and I'm allowed to say that because I'm British. So, um, But, you know, like, look at Perfect Example is one that I saw where Top Gun Maverick, I think, is the perfect example of something where you can watch this and think, I am highly entertained. Mm. I can appreciate the dogfights and all that. But there are so many issues with it that you're kind of like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, this is what it is. This is what it's going to be. It was always going to be. So I can, you know, you know, deal with like the totally two-dimensional, one-dimensional female characters. Um, I I can, you know, like look at the fact that fundamentally, like, the underlying story compared to original Top Gun, and I love the original Top Gun as well, it's actually got, the original Top Gun has far more depth and quite like a a lot more bite to it, especially with the kind of confrontation between Iceman and Maverick compared Mm -hmm. to new one where like, yeah, cool, Glenn Powell has made like a thing with his toothpick, cool, he's like the (laughs) Iceman, but like there's no competitive energy really there because it's always going to be, you know, this kind of like legacy thing, so... You know, I can watch that film and like I saw it IMAX and I was like cackling. I was like, oh my god, this is so, this is so eighties, and I love it. And I love that like John Hamm is like doing like, oh, I'm the American <laughs> Colonel. And I'm gonna be tough on you. I don't care about your shit, Maverick. Like, but uh, but I gotta save the day. You know what I mean? It's like all of it is such a cliche. But then when you're in that bit where you're in the cockpit with them, you're like, oh. God, I am like, uh, yeah. uh, I feel like I'm in 4K. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's mad. So I think that's the thing. Like, sure, I can watch a lot of things, but I feel like every time I watch a new movie, I learn something new about the art of cinema uh, and also my own tastes and things. And also hopefully learn something, especially with the diversity of films that I watch. Hopefully I'll learn something new as well yeah. and get a better understanding because that's, that's the best thing we can have. I think cinema... Is a reflection of the world. It says so much about who we are, but so far it's only told kind of one type of story. And obviously with this podcast, it's this kind of one sort of angle to make you understand a culture. And it just feels like that's that's not the way in. We yeah. don't need a white person to hook you into relate to to the diversity of people out there. So For sure. yeah. Um, well, something else I noticed uh, listening to the Fate to Black podcast is that you really enjoy the Lego games. Whether it's the <laughs> the Jurassic World or whether it's the Marvel no. or whether it's the Star Wars, and so yeah, I, I want to so much. I want to ask if you could make any franchise or character into a Lego game, what would you choose? Oh, like Lego Matrix. That'd be so. <laughs> How have they not could done? Could you it imagine? Yet? 
Have they? D- I don't think I they don't have think because so. I don't think they I, have. I, 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 the first one I got was Lego Marvel Superheroes two, mm. and I was like, I love this game so much. I, I just, <laughs> just like the kind of world. But then I, then I, the sad thing is, is then I was like, I need more. Yeah. I need some more Lego. So I went back, and then you realize the quality you know disintegrates as it goes back you're like oh god this is why like so i got like i even got like the harry potter where i was like yeah. oh god this is like for real children this is not for an adult like me but yeah I love- as you play a lego game <laughs> yeah it's like wait sir, where's the gameplay on this this is bullshit come on um so yeah lego matrix we mm. don't but like i've just actually so i'm a bit of a completionist as well and so the Lego Star Wars, which is interesting, is like, it's it's obviously Skywalker saga, blah, blah, blah. Like, God, mm-hmm. can we get over the Skywalkers? But, like, each, each, like, <laughs> sorry, God. No, I play, We're talking about lightsabers. Keep it here. going, keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> you I play, okay. Yeah, this, I, I play I just, those games. But I, what I love is, like, how much disrespect it has for the original IP. <laughs> it's like, they're joking it's with just, it, and they're also, like, shitting on it. Yeah. All the same yeah. Time. Yeah, it's like it's like the way it's kind of like they won't let Chewie have a medal. <laughs> it's like just give him a medal. It's like no. <laughs> and then there's that whole thing with like Kylo Ren. He's like got his shirt off. There's always a joke about him getting his shirt off. Oh god, it's just like. And then they always how often they say, um, "I've got a bad feeling about this." I mean, just all the lines. It's so good. Um, yeah, I just love it. And I think on this one's interesting. It's now like a kind of like a shooter game as well. Yeah. Just yeah. got to that point, which is like, oh, it's like, oh, wow. Am I doing Call of Duty? Am I a real gamer now? <laughs> I the answer uh, is no. <laughs> well, I, I, I interviewed um, Mamadou Achi and Jeff Goldblum about Jurassic World and of course, like Dominion. And of course I mentioned it because I was like, do you guys play it? And then Mamadou was like, so you game? And I was like, um... <laughs> I switch. <laughs> I'm not really like I don't. I don't know if I, I'm technically a gamer, but maybe I should call myself a gamer because yeah. I spend a lot of yeah, time yeah. playing that game. What else do I play? Uh, we we play a lot of um, Mario Tennis. Mm. Uh, I do classic, that a lot. Classic. Love Mario Tennis, Mario Kart. Love all those ones. I love, I love doing Kart. Donkey Kong. And we did like um, I've just downloaded like Celeste. I've just got Hades. Did Luigi's Mansion. Nice, nice. nice. I, I'm playing yeah, Hades you know. right now, actually. Are you? Okay, I'm going to complete yeah. Star Wars and then I'm going to get onto it. But like, what I love, the thing about Star Wars though, again, I'm sorry, to get, <laughs> I can bring this back round, by the way, onto like right. the white saviorism of it. Here we go. But like, but we all, like Star Wars fundamentally, <laughs> it's a ripoff of Dune. Mm. Um, and the original, you know, the Skywalker, like, I find it insane to me as someone who's like, my heritage is Tunisian, they shot A New Hope in Tunisia, Tatooine is, steals its name from a city near to where they shot uh, shot the film and like there is like not one like <laughs> it's like there's space Arabs not actual Arabs so it's like you've got Tuscan Raiders it's like no no and so I was a bit where I was in Tatooine in the little village and I saw this like this like girl character who was like look like me I was like I'm claiming her she's Jonathan <laughs> and it's like even with all these Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff and all this and it's great to have diversity I love Moses Ingram like dear Varma love all that you know, I think they're great, but it's like, could we just, like, if you're going to set it in this area, can you give us just one, like, Middle Eastern or North African actor in one this space thing? space era, please. Just, like, one. <laughs> one. Just give me one. I'm not asking for the world. Just one, please. So, so, so there. But at least there's far more diversity in the Lego, in the Lego games. Yeah. That's yeah, why we play exactly. it. They know what's um. up, and that's why I fuck with Lego. <laughs> I would say there's two that I want, and I don't know if these are feasible, but I guess if... if Lego Matrix is feasible, then these are probably feasible as well. <laughs> I want 
Lego Jackie Chan. Oh, like I want to play through like Lego Police on. Story and Lego Drunken Master. Cool. Oh my um, god, the whole like uh, favela like, uh, yeah. Jason uh, Police Story one. Yeah, that would be that would be great as Legos. Um, <laughs> and I want Lego Fast and Furious. And oh, that, <laughs> that seems like a missed opportunity. That seems like a missed opportunity. Give but me Lego not? Tyrese. That's all. <laughs> Lego, Lego Ludacris. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing because also there's so many stupid things about it. Like I just, yeah. I'm sorry, I just find it hilarious. I love like Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw, but I think what's hilarious about that Fast and Furious franchise is now they've all become superhuman. Yeah, like, it's they're like cartoon. they don't. They're like it's like so like that bit where like the Hulk. <laughs> it's like the Hulk. Um, what's his face? The Rock. Okay? He's like holding. <laughs> he's like holding a car, and then he's holding a helicopter. It's like. It's like, wait a sec, if you, this is like exactly the same scene as Steve Rogers mm-hmm. in Captain America. What is it? Uh, uh, what's the one? Civil War. Where he's like, no, I'm holding it. It's like, no, The Rock, you're a no- Hobbs, you're a normal person. <laughs> Not <laughs> if you have The Rock. But imagine having that scene in Lego, that'd be hilarious. And then yes. both his arms would come off, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right off. Yeah. That'd be a really good one. And then you could like do, because I kind of, what's good about the Star Wars one is that they've got all the, um, now you can, because in the like, other ones with uh, this Marvel stuff, they did have moments where you can like race. Yeah. But this one is like, you can actually be the Millennium Falcon. So imagine if you did it where you could like properly be all the cars. That'd be right. sick. And like do those yeah. levels where you have to hit things. I think we've got, maybe we need to pitch Get Lego this. on the phone. Yeah. Get, get Lego on the phone. We need to get Vin Diesel on the phone because he'll make it happen. We're like, look, oh. we're all about family and we want you to join the Lego family. <laughs> Please. Um, Cam, do you have one that you, you want to see? Oh, wow. I didn't think of that. I need, um, I need the Lego Spike Lee universe. <laughs> I need all of those films. I don't know no if we're building. ready for Lego Ready or Rahim. No, bu- no building, because there was there's no building happening in this movie. <laughs> we're only tearing it down. No, <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I don't know if Spike would agree to that, but we'll see. He probably would. <laughs> he probably would. We'll, we'll see what we can do. Um, <laughs> well, Anna, you did choose a movie. Uh, speaking of people's childhoods, you did choose a movie that I think yeah. people are... I think people may have come around to the fact that this movie is problematic but i don't know if they have an understanding of the depths of the the problems that this movie has but what movie did you choose for us to watch this week i i picked the 1995 disney renaissance classic Mm. i'm doing inverted commas (laughs) (laughs) problematic fave uh pocahontas yes Mm. um now i just want to go around before we get into a little bit of the background everybody I'm assuming saw this movie when it came out in 1995, right? Correct. Uh, so I just want to hear a little bit about people's initial response, like as a kid, like if this movie was something that you're like, wow, yeah, like Pocahontas, I love it. Or are you just like, that was a fine movie. Um, Hannah, what was, what was your initial reaction to seeing Pocahontas as a kid? I mean, I feel like I speak for a lot of women of color, like young girls of color, where you have such a limited like frame of reference to see yourself on screen. And even though I'm not Native American, like that, I saw Pocahontas saw this girl, like brown skin, mm-hmm. like when, you know, she's running around, like she's like a tomboy in a way, but still kind of weirdly has red lipsticks. <laughs> animation, you gotta love animation that way. But like, there are so few opportunities to see yourself and like between, you know, 
you know, Princess Jasmine, which was arguably like, as much as I loved it, there's like a weird hypersexualization of like her as oh, a yeah. character, which oh, yeah. even as a child, I was very aware of, but she wasn't even the lead in that story. No. She's a supporting character. So to have Pocahontas, and I think, did it, it came out, did it come out before Mulan? I think yes. Mulan was 98. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like for Mulan, me, three that years was, later. Yeah, right. So for me, it was like, this is amazing. I loved it. Um, I'm a rom- such a romantic at heart. And like, also like the two songs, I swear to God, Just Around the Riverbend mm-hmm. and Colors of the Wind, I feel like are like the two greatest Disney songs ever written. I'm I- obsessed with them. I can't, I can't, like, I sing him all the time. It's like karaoke, I'm like, there. I'm like, <laughs> I have a, I have a possibly freezing cold take about that song. Whoa. I'll, okay. I'll get to it when I, when okay. I do Don't worry, the film is already ruined for me. I only whisper it now. I'm like, just <laughs> But yeah, uh, it was very informative for me. I loved it. And it would take me, like, it wouldn't be too university until I realized the real deal. Yeah. yeah. Okay, what about you? Um, so I had a cousin who had all of these movies on the tapes. Remember, there were the white uh, VHS cases. For sure. And you could get them before they got locked away in the Disney vault. Mm-hmm. So when uh, we used to go over their house, uh, we would watch all of them. So I've seen like basically every pre-Pixar Disney movie, like kind of in order to. So when it got around to Pocahontas, I was like, okay, let's throw it on. Let's see what's going on. History of America, let's go. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's some really pretty stuff in this, but it's fine. Mm. And that was me when I was a kid, honestly. <laughs> and I can't front that as I've grown up, my my take is not different. And this is my freezing cold take that I think Colors of the Wind is like a top five, maybe even top three Disney moment in the middle of like a C minus movie. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. That's my freezing yeah. cold take. I think it's like a beautiful, like beautiful, like the animation is beautiful. Yeah. The transition choices are like, and we can talk about this more when we actually talk about the movie, but yeah. it's like a rich text inside of a yeah. very boring one dimensional movie. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> I, 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 no, no notes. <laughs> like, I feel like, yeah, top, top three Disney movie. It may be uh, top three Disney moment, maybe number three, but top Disney moment within mm-hmm. like a, like, yeah top 35 40 yeah. disney movie it like has i go i'm going a bit early but like when i think about when i watched moana mm. and just hearing there's just like a beauty of swelling to that to that song mm-hmm. and the, oh, and the lyrics of it and yeah and like uh, the lyrics how to it as go. well how far i go it's like we can do this I, I know these songs like <laughs> you i studied know musical theater about. sadly i studied oh, musical theater I love it's this. terrible <laughs> But no, it's not. I love musical theater. Like again, I think uh, you know. I you know. I think. Well, it's just terrible you... for my bank account and my career. Yeah. At, at large, but uh, we can. Well, that's another podcast. I've seen Frozen on Broadway too many times. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually, but my friend Obi is playing um uh, playing Kristoff is it in the West End? So shout out Obi. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. I think it's just like that's it's a, it's like it's the lyrics that mean so much and tell such a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, Judy Kuhn's voice is obviously amazing. And then also, mm. yeah, just the way, the visuals of it, the way you feel it. And it's like, oh God, get me in the gut. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the whole thesis statement of not necessarily colonialism, but more like um, uh, eco preservation, like earth preservation. Mm-hmm. It's more about that. It's a little about colonization, a but bit, it is yeah. more about like earth uh, preservation. And it's beautifully done. 
beautifully done in the lyrics, and it ends on a absolute bar, hmm. which is, <laughs> which is um, Go you can it. only you can only earth and still all your own is earth until you can yes. paint with all the colors of the wind. Like ooh, like it's it's, it's useless. <laughs> it's a useless. It's a useless uh, a trek. Hmm. Yeah. To 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 dig up earth. It's a useless pursuit to dig up earth and and turn it into buildings and industrialize and all this stuff. I mean, not useless and not fruitless, but it's aimless and it, 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 it's senseless. And it's and it's yeah. so like crystallized in like literally that moment of the movie, but also like that moment of the song. And it's just like it hits like a ton of bricks. And the, and you kind of walk out of that sequence like changed. You're like, oh wow and then you're like right back into this middle like uh the middle is like dig for gold plot in the middle of the movie which is like, yep. but uh, that's the thing we'll get to it's that. kind of like a protest song in a way like yeah protest Lo- against, Lo- like, I go, yeah. like as protest as you'll get out of a disney movie yeah for sure which is yeah and 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 uh, just like say before but we, we spoke about how we watched the second film so when i was mm. watching the second film mm. there's a song about <laughs> london I'm like, London, it's so wonderful. And it's like, how Pocahontas? Like, why are you saying you love London? Now you love this big urban industrial where it's like, look, everyone looks different. She, it's like, no, they all look the same. She gets off the That's boat the and literally <laughs> climbs a tree <laughs> as they start singing about London. And she's like, wow, I've never seen anything this beautiful before. I love like, London. What? But it feels like you've just totally gone against like the ethos of the first film. The by very saying, ethos oh, of the story you're telling. Build on the ground. Build it all up, please. Yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> The second salt movie, the earth it's, it's a wild film <laughs> i gotta see it now because uh, yeah, i avoided well, it like the plague disney plus was like hey do you want you might you might want to keep and doing i was like it. no i have better things to do we'll, you do we, we'll talk to you about it so you don't have yeah, to yeah. like love anyone it, listen it. it's like yeah, don't worry don't. Mm-hmm. we got this we took the hit <laughs> yeah oh yeah very quickly i mean i remember watching this movie i think i was about six or seven when this came out mm. and like i was heavy into the disney canon i'd seen all the disney movies preceding this and so like mm-hmm. I don't know if it stood out to me in any significant way other than I enjoyed it. Like, I liked it. I was like, yeah, okay. Like, Pocahontas is cool. I don't think, obviously, at that point, I had some understanding of, like, Native Americans originally lived here. And then Europeans came over here and, like, took stuff over. But I don't know if I was making those connections when yeah. I was watching this movie. And then, I'll, you know, probably around high school, somebody was like, you know, Pocahontas was fake. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those. We'll, we'll get into this a lot later, too. But just like, you know, the idea of a lot of these films being more or less propaganda for children, you know, is like one of the mm. sinister things about them where you're just like, wow, you didn't realize how much indoctrination was going on until you were a lot older and were just like, I watched what? What? (laughs) I think what's interesting though, is like when you think about native American or indigenous representation in cinema thus far, Mm -hmm. they really thought they were doing a good thing. That's what they thought they were doing. They really thought they were doing the work and they thought we are finally showing them in a really good, like showing indigenous people, the poet and kind in a real tribe in a really good light. And it's kind of wild, isn't it? It's like, Oh, all these like decades of like Wild yeah. West films with the savage and all this type of stuff. It's like, oh, we're doing the good things. Give us a pat on the back. It's like, no. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting to think, you know, Russell Means, who played uh, the chief in the movie, Chief Powhatan, 
came out and said after it came out that Pocahontas is the first time Eurocentric male society has admitted its historical deceit. Uh, and the film makes stunning admissions that European colonization of the Americas was to kill Indians and rape and pillage the land. Uh, and he called it, you know, the best representation of American Indians in Hollywood uh, that's been done up until that point. You know, so yeah. he was really going hard for Pocahontas when it came out. Partially yeah, maybe he's because he was in it. contracts will do that for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, even thinking about Disney's history of Native imagery. In Peter Pan. Like, yeah, you know, they, they don't have a good track record. So for them, this no. was actually a huge improvement yeah. to what they had done before. But when uh, the bar is in hell, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, it is. Like, it's bare... Like, and and I suppose we'll get into it, but, like, the story of Pocahontas in itself, Disney weren't the first pl- first people to, like... Oh, no. Tell yeah. it. <laughs> to romanticise in a way. So it's just perpetuating that... It's perpetuating the lie, isn't it? It's like the revisionist yeah. history mm-hmm. that fits the white victors and all they were doing were, like... Same with Aladdin, like, given that kind of, like, the way, like, they're taking a story that's, like, a... Uh, from the 1001 nights, you know, the Arabian nights, which is basically, yeah, it's like, it was all put together by like this French scholar who took all these stories and did this melting pot of Orientalism and said, this is what you look like. And so in a way, there's a lot of similarities, but they obviously did a bit more work behind the scenes, which again, sorry, we're like, <laughs> yeah. we're like, it's like, wait till you get that section, Hannah. <laughs> but there is a lot about what they did behind the scenes compared to Aladdin, which is completely yeah. whitewashed. Mm. Apart from, I think, the singer for Disney, uh, for Jasmine. But, like, yeah, I think, again, it's that little, like, this is, like, a slightly shuffle forward on better representation, but even that representation is really bad. For sure. Well, let's let's quickly get through some of the basics and the, the summary of this film so we can get into talking about it for real, because a few things that you just need to know before we, we start the discussion. Again, Pocahontas came out in 1995. Um, it is directed by Mike Gabriel and Eric Goldberg, who were, you know, longtime Disney animators. Mike Gabriel had done, directed uh, Adventures Down Under, and that was his big first. Oh, The Rescuers Down Under. Rescuers Down Under, yeah. Yeah, I remember that one. I actually saw that in the theaters. And I love the rescuers. Yeah, pretty good. good, You know, again, like... Not to be confused with the Rescue Rangers. Yeah. (laughs) No. No. But they, uh, they were put in charge of this film. Um, it is based on obviously the the life of Pocahontas, and it was the first time that Disney had ever done anything like that. You know, with their animation, a lot of the times we're we're talking about folklore and mythology, and you know, lots of other stuff. And this was their first attempt to like adapt a real person's life and story into an animated film. Um, it stars uh, Irving Bedard as Pocahontas. Uh, it stars. Everyone's favorite Mel Gibson, <laughs> John Smith. Maybe quite appropriately, Mel Gibson. Yeah, I was about Smith. to say more appropriate than they, <laughs> than they knew. Um, it has um, Russell Means as Chief Poetan, um, Christian Bale as Thomas, I, 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 uh, one of his earlier roles, um, and David Ogden Steers as uh, Governor Ratcliffe. So I'm going to try to summarize this movie real quick. And uh, I think I can do a camera. I think I got it. I think you I can. It out. I honestly but... don't. I don't see you failing here. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> let's let's test that theory. Uh, go ahead and let me know when when you got the clock going. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. 
All right, so we start out in 1607 with perhaps one of the worst Disney songs ever oh, about yes. the Virginia Trading Company and how great it is. Uh, oh, yes. uh, problematic off the bat. Um, but here we meet <laughs> Colonial Soldier and a soldier with confusing American accent, John Smith, uh, by Mel Gibson. <laughs> Don't know why he was speaking like that, because that accent didn't exist, but... Here we go. Uh, leader of the land stealing expedition, Governor Ratcliffe, and uh, just general plot device Thomas. And they're all getting ready to set off to the New World, quotes, New World, um, in search of gold. Uh, meanwhile, in Robocomico Sincomica, or as we know it today, Virginia, the pot, and they're just basically minding their own business. Uh, <laughs> we meet Pocahontas, who literally jumps off a waterfall to show us just how much of a free spirit she is. Um, she's living with her tribe. We learn that her father, Chief Poetan, wants her to marry Kokoum, who is a warrior that she's like, I don't know, he's like real serious. We don't really vibe together. I don't think I want to do that. But her father gives her her mother's necklace as a sign of just like, you know, how much you mean to me, how much you mean to the tribe and like how much it would mean if you married Cocoam and like kind of continued, you know, your, your duties and responsibilities here. Um, and then after that, she sings just around the river bend, which is a bop, uh, still a bop. And she goes to visit Mother Willow, who is her grandmother, but also a willow tree. Uh, and she tells Grandmother Willow about this dream that she's been having about a spinning arrow and she doesn't know what it means. And grandmother was like, maybe you should just go with that. Follow that. See where that takes you. Um, and it basically takes her to the arriving English who are pulling up on the shore uh, just as he's talking to grandmother Willow. Immediately, Ratcliffe gets off. He starts tearing up trees, digging for gold. You know, they sing another song about Manifest Destiny. Um, bottom Johnson. three Disney song, by the way. <laughs> bottom three. Might even be bottom Disney song. Um, if it wasn't for Fixer Upper from Frozen. All right, that's my time. <laughs> time. Uh, meanwhile, John Smith sets out to explore the new world and sings his own song about adventure and possibly killing native people, I guess. Mm, um, mm. <laughs> Pocahontas sees him. She's kind of spying on him. She's creeping. She's trying to get a bit closer to get a look. Uh, but John Smith gets to drop on her. And is immediately just struck by her beauty. You know, he's overcome by how attractive she is. They start to try to communicate, but they don't speak the same language. But fortunately, Grandmother Willow is there to magically help Pocahontas both speak and understand English, I guess. Uh, after that, John Smith immediately calls her a savage and <laughs> says that her people are uncivilized. And for some reason, instead of pushing his ass into the river, uh, she sings Colors of the Wind, which again is another bop. Um, but from there... Their relationship starts to grow, uh, but so do the tensions between the English and the Powhatan. Um, after the English shoot and wound a Powhatan scout who's just trying to figure out what's going on in Jamestown, Chief Powhatan delivers this immortal line for all time. These white men are dangerous. Um, and <laughs> Wait, did that come through? Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. But great. I was thought you were going to do the white demons because that oh, one hits well, the, the white demons. <laughs> But <laughs> Pocahontas and John Smith's relationship is then found out by uh, Pocahontas' friend, Nakoma, who sees her kind of sneaking around at night. She warns her about, you know, like, this isn't such a good idea. But Pocahontas is like, I got it. Don't worry about it. She runs off to meet with John Smith. Um, John Smith also sneaking out gets caught by Thomas, you know, who's kind of spying on him. And Ratcliffe sends Thomas to go follow John Smith and see what he's up to. Uh, Pocahontas and John Smith meet uh, once again by Grandmother Willow. And as they're trying to figure out what to do to kind of stop this ongoing conflict, um, they kiss 
which Kokoam uh, shows up after being tipped off by Nakoma, sees this, not about it. Him and John Smith start fighting. Um, but of course, Thomas has shown up at the same time and shoots and kills Kokoam. Um, Pocahontas is, I guess, sad, but not really. Uh, and the <laughs> rest of the plot and tribe show up. They take John Smith. Uh, they are holding him captive. They're threatening to murder him at uh, dawn. Word gets back to the people at Jamestown. Ratcliffe is using this as basically an opportunity to worm his way back into power. You know, he's saying that, oh, the natives must have the gold. You know, they're holding John Smith captive. We have to go save him. We have to go get the gold. So there's this big conflict about to brew. Then Pocahontas goes back to uh, Grandmother Willow. She's really conflicted about what to do. And I guess it turns out that her dream was just about John Smith's compass. Uh, that was the spinning arrow. And it leads her right back to John Smith, who's about to be executed. She throws himself on top of John Smith, just as the chief is about to smash his skull in. And she manages to talk everybody down. Uh, Ratcliffe then decides this is my time to still kind of seize power. He decides he's going to try to shoot the chief, but John Smith jumps in front, takes the bullet for him. And then renowned murderer Thomas uh, sees his opportunity to get back <laughs> on the high horse and turns everybody against Ratcliffe and uh, convinces everybody that they should go home. Uh, so we end the movie with Pocahontas having to choose between her people and her love for John Smith. Ultimately, she decides to stay and just waves solemnly at John Smith as he sails back to England. And, and they never came back. That's Pocahontas. Yeah, that's the end of colonial. <laughs> and that is the true yeah. real story. <laughs> Thank you for the Ooh, boy. A little over five lesson. minutes, maybe like five fifteen, but yeah, we did interrupt a couple of times. So. That's right. We did. We did. Yeah. We did. I, I did solid. help. <laughs> I did help. Remember when you said we took it about because I was like Disney dead moms can't have a Disney movie without one. <laughs> can't have a movie without one. Disney Her- races dead mom. Gotta be. Her mom, allegedly. Mom's never heard of him. Allegedly, (laughs) because you know the the people making the film were aware of that uh, complaint and like were like, well, we can't not have a mom in this movie. So technically, I guess she's supposed to be the wind or an earth spirit or like you know. Oh no, that's me. That's mum baiting. Yeah. <laughs> like we're baiting, but it's mum baiting. I don't know. I can't really uh, get into it, but um, what we can get into. Is this movie is, I mean, I will, will start just by saying, I'm sure everybody else kind of feels the same way. Watching this now, wow. Wow, wow, wow. wow. <laughs> so many things jump out to you immediately Imme- upon seeing like off it. to kind of a terrible start for yeah. real. <laughs> and I think the thing that sh- strikes me so much is just that, like, it's amazing to see a film that at once, like you said, Hannah, like, you can tell that they're trying to do the right thing, the responsible thing. You know, there are mentions of like yeah like every time there's a song by you know ratcliffe or like you know the the other colonists like they try to paint it as like yeah they're kind of bad and like ooh, like you know the the native people are like in the right and then at the end you know they sing the song and they're like but the native people also called them savages and like maybe they were violent too and like i don't know who was right in the situation oh. love prevails you know what I mean? <laughs> they really like, tried to both sides they colorless. really <laughs> they really did though and it didn't it didn't stick until the end of savages part but i was like 
uh-uh, no, 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 no. Why, uh-uh. They, they were minding their own business. They were literally chilling. Yes. And then yeah. people threatened them. And what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to retaliate. But instead, they are now the actual savages. They're the instigators of the situation. They're the instigators. Yo, I... And it's... I think, yeah, I was going to say, like, I find it from... Uh, the, there's a typical thing in, like, just the Disney formula of creating, like, the princess of feeling like an outsider. Mm-hmm. Like, within where she is, where, like, Jasmine feels like an outsider in the castle, feels trapped by it. Mulan feels trapped by, like, her gender <laughs> gender role that she's supposed to do, like, Little Mermaid. She's like, oh, I want freedom. I want to be on land. It's all that thing. But what's uncomfortable about Pocahontas when you watch it is, like, how much they're pushing her against her tribe creating that like friction there and that feels really like i don't know kind of underhanded in a way as if like oh she's the and this this kind of feeds into the original thing about how the original woman was because obviously Pocahontas was like a nickname that wasn't actually no yeah i think Mm -hmm. it was like playful thing what was her name is it moatoka moatoka and like she was in history she was like the good savage and they basically created that <laughs> once again yes. uh, with this character. And that's what's quite like, you look, that's the one of the first things that I kind of like spotted immediately. Like, oh, wait, why, why does she like, why is she, why, why she got this beef with her own tribe? Like, she doesn't like, it's like the idea that she's got this Western, this Western and inverted common sensibilities when this life is all she's known and she kind of loves her life. Like, I always thought like, these influencers come in and say, like, they're the ones causing all the beef. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Why has she got beef of her own tribe? It's weird because, like, w- what we're presented with as her conflict is that her father wants her to marry Coco, right? And we, like, meet him, and he seems fine. Hot. We don't really... <laughs> Man is hot. <laughs> we don't really get to know him. We know that he's a warrior, that he just came back from a big battle and, you know, had one was one of the you know the big uh you know players in this this major battle and like doesn't seem like because it would be one thing right like there's the moment where coco like finds pocahontas like trying to you know sneak out and he's telling her oh you know like you should probably go home you know because like there's white people out here and we don't know what's about to happen and it wasn't done in a way where like he's like taking ownership of her and like you need to go because like as a man i say that you have to go it's more just like yeah i'm worried about everybody (laughs) because we don't know what's about to happen and there wasn't even like a sense of like oh yeah they try to have a conversation and he's like talking over her or like being overbearing like every time we see him he seems Maybe, yeah, probably a little, like, boring, perhaps, but, like, overall, generally a fine person. Presented um, as serious. How about that? Yeah. And then at the the climactic moment where he, like, attacks John Smith, it's supposed to be like, oh, like, he, this this aggressive native man who, like, you know, he can't understand what's happening between these two, and he's ruining this moment. Whereas if Pocahontas was just like, yo, this is, <laughs> here's what's happening here. Like, maybe... <laughs> I should explain, but instead it's just kind of like she's put in a position where she's like desperately trying to get him off, and he's so enraged over seeing that you know she's kissing John Smith that like he can't be stopped, he can't be reasoned with. Yeah, he's uh, feral. Like, and then he's got to be put down by Thomas because it's just <laughs> yeah. like, what is going on? Thomas well, finally like, has the courage to use a gun. It's like, oh, I can shoot it now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I find it like, um, 
just the whole even while he's throwing Pocahontas off as like oh he's hitting her it's like oh you're justifying killing him this is what it is you're justifying killing him because that so far there's been no reason that he deserves and also there's that the problem is also is the fact that the, what you said earlier about like how she can just suddenly magically understand. Yep. Oh, that's <laughs> so, like oh, that. Yeah. That there's a massive language barrier there. Like you know she's not. I don't know. She's kind of reckless, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's seen as like oh rebellious. Do you know what I mean? She's yeah. kind of like these are dangerous people, and the way that you're positioning them as if they're not super dangerous people. They were. Well, um, I think they, your... I think he's like justified in a way. I'm like I'm like should I take the Teddy course? Should I marry Kokuam? Yes, bitch. <laughs> and guess well, what, guys? She did. Yes. Yeah. She did. Yes, did. Well, among many other things that they didn't show us in this movie. But what what I keep feel like you guys are rubbing up against, and me too, I rubbed up against it too, is, see, it's like, what, an hour and 40 minute movie? Which is, thank God, by the way. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, but the movie kind of like does the whole story in 140, right? Yeah. And presents you with these odd moments that are honestly only time saver moments. Like the fact that their language barrier is giant. And a tree and the power of love <laughs> like brought their language barrier together. And now they can instantly communicate for the rest of the movie. And I guess everybody and, though, right? Because like John Smith is, is talking because... to the chief and other people and you're just like... How's that happening? Yeah. No, it's not. It's not <laughs> happening. That's what's happening. That's a plot hole happening. that never gets filled. <laughs> and then, and then also that final moment of uh, Coco and seeing uh, Pocahontas kiss John Smith, and then you know a death ensues. Is like it's just it's it's portrayed as like this difficult moment where both sides had a justification, and one had to take action before the other. Because the conflict mm. is going to come either way, right? Right. So they're faced with like this difficult moment of like we've got fifteen minutes left in this movie because it really does happen in the last like oh yeah ten twenty minutes of the movie where you have like a conflict. You they're singing about savages from both sides. You you the audience don't know how to feel because you're literally tied in the middle of that. You're yeah, there's savages to on both sides, Cameron. Well, there's savages forget. on both <laughs> sides. Yeah. It is, they, are not, they are not slick. They are not it's slick. Good but people. sadly, <laughs> But sadly, sadly, uh, children can't really choose because they're like, they're presented with both options. So then right. it, that is the underhanded nature of this movie is that they know the audience of this movie is like seven yeah. to 12 year old kids. So they're going to watch this movie and be like, well, I see problems on both sides. Well, and here's the thing. Their right? parents are going to know what's going on, but the kids are going to have yeah. to make decisions for themselves. Well, here's, we I talk- mean, but the only one is Radcliffe, though. That's, he's the only bad guy. He's the it. one. That's how they position it. There's it's a true. Lot going in, on. in the ending, in the ending, Radcliffe is taken away as the bad guy. But yeah. that's no, actually... even from the beginning, it's even the, the way he's animated. Yeah, he's got like, the big yeah. grin. Look, he's got the big nose. He's got like the he's large. But this is like, also this is also he's a problem. Bad I... guy aesthetic. This yeah. is a problem that I also uh, came up against when I watched it, and also like Robert Roger Ebert in his interview in his review of the movie talked about this because I did happen to read that. And he mentioned that there was a uh, significant lack of scoundrels in it, which kind of attests to like the Disney Renaissance beforehand. We got Little Mermaid, so we got mm-hmm. instant classic villains. We've got Ursula, we've got Jafar, 
We've got the, you know, the problematic nature of the beast and the people in town. Yeah. We've got uh we've got all Gaston. these like significant Gaston, yeah. yeah, Gaston, we got Gaston, right? We got we've got actual villains that we can look at and we can remember like through their actions and through the way they're animated. And like honestly, if you told any kid now to like pick Governor Radcliffe out of a lineup, they probably wouldn't know who who you're talking about. Yeah. Like who is who is this? Who is they this remember man? the pug more than they remember. Him. <laughs> they'll probably remember the pug and the raccoon more than they'll remember who owned the pug. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing about there's there's a number of things that we've we've touched on so far that I want to get into. One being that we talk about this a lot, right? So like white people watching this movie, they get to be John Smith, they get to be maybe even Thomas oh. or, you know, like one of these other white colonists who see the lights and decide that maybe we're we're doing this for the wrong reasons and we should just turn around and go home. Uh and then people of color, specifically native people, get to watch this movie and be Pocahontas. Cocoum, uh, the raccoon. I don't the know. Raccoon. Like, who you, who are honestly, you choosing when I from? watched this movie, I went to Burger King and I got my toy afterwards, and it was definitely a raccoon toy. Oh boy, the, the, yeah, the I merchandise know. coming from Pocahontas was problematic at yes. best. Yes, <laughs> me wanting the raccoon toy is problematic <laughs> at most. <laughs> um. But it's just another one of those things where up until this point, there hadn't been a woman of color like leading one of these Disney films. Like the princesses mm. were oftentimes the side characters or the objects, you know, that the leading male character was trying to get. Um, or, you know, in the case of The Little Mermaid, you know, like and a lot of the other previous princesses, like they were in peril or, you know, needed a prince or a man of some kind to come and save them. And so like here we have Pocahontas who's presented as like, you know, the, the main character. She's telling John Smith that he's wrong. She's, you know, like telling her father that, you know, they need to broker peace between, you know, their tribe and, you know, the, the people of Jamestown. And like, you know, they're trying to present her in this really strong way. But at the same time, like you're saying, like there's just a lot of weird, like flitting back and forth. Like again, for example, John Smith literally, once they can communicate, calls her a savage and then says her people are uncivilized. Yeah. And instead of face. being like, what? <laughs> she proceeds to no. sing him a song to educate him about why he's wrong and why he should, you know, see it. And then Which he... is typical of women of color, having <laughs> to like do the words educate people. <laughs> Let me sing you a song. But then he does right which is another thing where uh, another thing we say all the time if it was that easy to just tell white people hey stop it cut it out and they were like you know what? you're right you know thank you for the <laughs> thank you for the educational song that you just sung i now see that my ways are wrong and i should probably just go back home and like stop it colonizing so people wild that last As, like <laughs> 10 minutes of this movie is just unfathomably unfathomably wild like what uh they have to go back home they go back home forever but also, like, when they turn on Governor Radcliffe, they're like, yeah, there's no gold here, and there's no need to fight these people. Yeah, They all well, learn that right there. I just think the problem of even doing a story like this in a children's context, you can't, like, it's too political. Mm -hmm. There are two, it's like you can't separate them. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, you just get what this is, which is basically just letting a lot of white people off for a lot of harm and like, you know, whitewashing history, yep. romanticizing history. So we don't get the full image. And like, it just. This is a catalyst moment in history. Yeah. Like, and you can't ignore yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, 
you know, <laughs> again, I, I mean, let me give you the context of like when I discovered this was a total lie. Um, I did um, American studies and English as my degree, undergraduate degree. Mm. And so my first year when I was looking like a American history, I was like, oh, we're going to talk about the Pocahontas. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> we did a whole <laughs> lecture on it. I was like, wait, what? No. <laughs> Everything I've learned is a lie. Did they play Do it on a projector to... and just like draw a giant X through it? It was, it was, <laughs> no, it was like reading about like, and again, what's interesting is when you think about Pocahontas, Pocahontas 2, how it seems to be like trying to like address the inaccuracy. And then makes it worse. Like make, yeah. And so when I learned about like, you know, the whole story about like how she, she, John Smith basically like, did they, there was no love story there he made it up to try and get himself back in good favor you know whole point of him writing the story was trying to show that we can colonize this place mm-hmm. we can get this these people on side and we can take the lands off it you know that's and, and it's similar to like lawrence of arabia because like this was annoying about lawrence of arabia because lawrence of arabia like his everything he was doing he's put as this like big messiah like oh yeah he's the white savior but like Everything that he was doing was for the British army to yep. colonize the region. Like it's even he talks about it, and he talks about like in his biography that's based on like this what is it seven pillars or whatever it is. Like so that's what's frustrating is that um, it's just about who you know. Again, history is told by the winners, and right. John Smith fabricated this whole thing. And then when you realize that she actually was kind of like forced into. I mean, we don't know the real story, but like forced into Christianity, takes the name Rebecca, marries John Rolfe, who lost his wife and daughter on the trip over, and then he brings her back to England as, like, you know, the good savage. Hey, look, we can civilise. And she was, like, basically a freak show. Like, that's what she was. Incidentally, I learned as well that she um, she lived. They lived in a place called Brentford, which is in like where I used to live when I like when I grew up. Like, I was like, oh, I was neighbours with uh, (laughs) Rebecca. Uh, But yeah, like, but when you take when you when you divorce all of that context and stuff, and you just like just it just it feels just so like. gets me angry because it just it just like this is the lies that we continually tell and yes. cinema is again one of the most influential mediums and a lot of people mm-hmm. don't bother doing outside reading they just take things on face value and so people growing up watching that film and thinking that they feel like oh yeah you know it's like the indians versus the pilgrims like indian pilgrims oh yeah it's great and luckily like as family values showed <laughs> that it wasn't like that i appreciate that well but, um, taking it even a step further though this isn't just a movie this is a disney film right and like that carries an extra level of weight to it because at this point disney was on a run like like you're saying this was the disney renaissance everybody was all into disney these were appointment viewings for families you know families would say oh new disney film like we should go see that you know it doesn't matter what it is because everything is you know one of beauty and the beast previous year was nominated for best picture you know in 1991 so that was kind of like oh these aren't just like kiddie films these are like you know movie movies that everybody should go out and see and so to put the story of pocahontas in here not only just fabricate it from start to finish more or less but to do it in a way that's like yeah you know what we should really just like get over that and come together you know because our differences all can be solved if we just like love each other (laughs) and you know sing some songs and it's just like for kids we don't have that context, right? Like we don't have don't. anything to not even just counteract that with, but like, it seems like an agreeable message, right? Like everybody get along and love each other. Wow. Okay. Yeah, sure. Like that seems like something that 
you would want as a person. But then the older that you get, not only is it clear that this movie in itself was a lie, but like the fact that it still endures to this day, you know, the fact that it's a film and like Pocahontas as a, because Pocahontas is a Disney princess now. Right. I think that's the other thing that we can't discount is like the real life story has been co-opted by Disney and she is now part of the Disney corporation <laughs> as it, when she shows up in like Wreck-It Ralph too, right. Was she not part of that Disney princess like yeah, consortium that are right like, there. you know what I mean? So like, she's part of that group now that when you see her, you associate her not even just with this movie, but with like John Smith and like her epic love story and all of this stuff. And it's completely divorced, divorced and devoid from history in a way that like, it's crazy. It's crazy to think, right. That, they won't show you Song of the South <laughs> on Disney Plus, right? They've deemed that to be in, inexcusable Powerful. and so offensive that they can't show it. And yet they will not only show you Pocahontas 1, but then direct you to Pocahontas 2 <laughs> right after it with no no warning or no like, hey, so this was made in a time or like... so here's like additional features that we have come up with after the fact to tell you the real story of Pocahontas, because when you watch the behind the scenes, which I did for this movie, it is even more of them basically literally coming out and saying, yeah. So like we did all this research about Pocahontas. We went to the real Jamestown. We talked to all these people and we decided that wasn't really like a fun story. So what if we just like made some stuff up and like leaned more on the folklore and like the writings of John Smith, who was a, fucking liar <laughs> and, there's like no other way to to put it he lied yeah. for his own personal gain yeah and that's what um, they went with though that's why they were like yo this is the better story if we do it this way and not even if we do it this way but like they aged pocahontas up because they're like well that's yeah. kind of gross she's a full-grown 20 year old yeah. woman <laughs> when you watch the behind the scenes they have early animation of her as she a child died at 21 <laughs> she died at 21 she died yeah it <laughs> even was that is, long but this is like the whole thing with like, again, it's interesting with like the women of color characters. Like again, with ja- I say Jasmine, she's sixteen, but the way she's presented mm-hmm. is that she's like this like worldly, like hypersexual. It's like this is like a weird, weird flex on these white white pe- filmmakers' parts. And what's so interesting, if you look at IMDb, there's twenty seven writers credited. On yes, there. and it's like yeah. how like has that happened? And I don't know. Like I can. The step forward it did, I just say it as like from Aladdin to Poker, is actually the efforts, I don't know, like the hmm. minimal effort they did to actually have voice actors. And I think just like the positive thing about it, like, like there's no denying that Irene's and Russell Means' performances yeah. are actually like amazing. And I think Russell Means has like, I just love his voice. Mm-hmm. He's got yeah. such a texture, like just like a, such a lovely tone to his voice. And it just feels very... I don't know. He's. He, it just feels like he carries centuries of yeah. like history in his voice, and I love <laughs> that. And it kind of. I don't know, but that's the sad thing. It's like you get these people to authenticate it as mm. it was, but they're mm. authenticating a false narrative. So like, it's good that people are getting paid to tell a story. Do you know what I mean? It's like weird. Yeah. That's what we always is as people of color. Like we're always stuck in this like catch twenty two situations. Like, do we just like not get paid at all? Not get involved? But, or like get someone to whitewash or that or do we do we get like it's that like, how do we navigate that trying to be part of something trying to get that step up and trying to hopefully be part of something that create some good representation but what does that 
ultimately what's the negative effect and it's so hard to put that pressure on people of color to you know because again not everyone's in the same financial situations mm-hmm. or like where mm-hmm. they want to be in their life so it's you know i don't begrudge any of like the indigenous people who took part in this film because yeah. i can understand at the time that was accepted and i think what you said earlier about like way that song of the south isn't on there i think there's a whole different there's a hierarchy of what people have what what is acceptable when it comes to racism and and i think that because nowadays because of like how continually hear her horrific black people and the black african americans have been treated in this like world and the staunch racism consider how much they've been on screen compared to indigenous representation like the community is too big to allow that shit like it's like Mm. there are too many loud voices whereas i will say i think that the indigenous community is not as loud has not always it's there's there's such limited stories that they're even told that i Mm -hmm. think sometimes it's like you know, same for me, I find that as someone who's like Arab heritage, like there's shit that people get away with all the time. Like the way Arabs have been presented on screen for the last hundred years is mad and it still goes on today. But people don't care as much yeah. about upsetting Arab people. I don't think they care as much about upsetting indigenous people because their voices aren't as loud or they don't carry as much weight, maybe. I wonder oh, what you think. For sure. And I think also on top of that, like during this specific period of time, right, we had just gotten Dances with Wolves, Best Picture mm-hmm. winner. You know, we had gotten Last of the Mohicans, right? Like, that was a big film. Like, we had kind of gone through this whole period of, like... White Savior Native films. White Savior <laughs> Native films. These kind of, like, majestic, uh, you know, noble savage type caricatures where it's just, like, we're going to present Native people in, at the time, probably a, a more considerable and humane light, but also not going to tell you the whole truth because we also have to make sure that the white people involved in the story are heroic and noble and like they're learning something from native people that they didn't know and like every one of those stories has basically this turn where the white people come in and they're you know either colonizers or like people who are there to control the native population or exterminate the native population and then they meet the native population and they're like, but they're people too. And then they flip sides, right? And at the end of the movie, they get to be the hero and basically co-opt yeah. the native story. Again, Dances with Wolves, literally. Well, that was the gateway. That was like the gateway white savior narrative. Yes. I mean, there's that line in it who he says like, what is this? What's the character? He's like Stonecast says like, I think it's like kicking. I wrote about this. I was like, oh, yeah. I love this thing. But like, he is a special white man. Yeah. <laughs> he should have a real name. And then you have after that, you have like Last Meekins, as you said, Unforgiven, Tombstone. Yep. That kind of brought in this whole line of things. And then exactly you said, like there's a way of like the, you know, Last of Mohicans, it has Daniel Day-Lewis playing like a white character who's adopted by mm-hmm. like, the Tarzan. <laughs> and yep. then even in Dances with Wolves, the character, I can't remember the actress's name, but like she's she's like the she was stolen, young girl, white girl know, who gets like her parents <laughs> get killed. And then she's like, she's the way in. And that way you can have like the white guy with the white guy, with the white woman who's right. Native, but she's not really, na- you know, like all that type of shit. Oh, yeah. God. Well, we're but- living, we're, we're presently living in an era where I feel like brown people ha- are kind of not falling for the bunk anymore. We're not interested in stories that don't relate to us or stories that are told to us with some sense of authenticity because everything's about authenticity, right? Everything's about getting closer to truth versus like, mm-hmm. we don't have like wacky comedies anymore. We don't have wacky wild dramas anymore we have things that are like everything's muted and everything's like 
trying to get towards some sort of truth. That's that's like the, the pastiche of like movies that have kind of existed for the past like 15, 20 years almost. So it's like these audiences aren't interested in seeing these stories. But back in the 90s, back in the early 2000s, this was the only the only idea for making a movie was to present it to white people. Yeah. So if you have a story about brown people, then you have to come at it from the angle of the white person who entered the uh, community or the yeah, white person who was stolen away and like lived amongst them, you know? I think like it's also what's going in like the political climate at the time. I think there was, mm. you know, when we had like after the like the kind of you know, there was a period where Westerns stopped being so, like, anti-Native mm-hmm. America, where actually kind of, like, did a bit more, tried to make a little bit more balance. And then you have, like, the 70s come through where it's that grittier, like, as you said, like, the realism that comes through. And then you have people, you know, responding. What's the one with Gene Hackman? Um, and it's, like, Mississippi Burning. Oh, Mississippi that Burning. <laughs> right, that's a perfect, like, my that, God. That, yeah, yeah my God. like, people... We, ju- we people, just went through that. <laughs> we, oh, did like, you? Well, that's, we're like, still reeling from it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and, like, it was a way to, like, how do we talk... And, like, obviously the black exploitation films were there for a bit, for a minute, and then, like, it kind of was like, oh, they went out of fashion. And then, because I mean, they know that there at, was an audience there. Well, because yeah. then, then they did. They replaced like like Pam Grier. She was like the ultimate black exploitation god, godmother or whatever mm-hmm. black exploitation. And then suddenly it's like, oh, these strong female characters who take no nonsense. Let's replace by white people, but like sanitize and make vanilla. So you had like police women on TV, or like you know they brought out Wonder Woman. There was like there's a whole this, like the Charlie's Angels. It's like yeah, oh yeah, let's sanitize oh, yeah. it. So basically, she kind of started. But what I think it's like it's the way that um, how do we how do we respond to the political climate right now and social justice, but still make it about get white people to buy tickets and not okay. make them feel so uncomfortable about how racist it is because that's what it comes down to. It's like we don't want people to make we don't want white people to feel uncomfortable sitting there, so we need to put a white savior in there. Um, to ensure that they feel okay. It's like, oh, though they can relate to that white person and think yes. they're that one good guy. But what you said about Dance, and I'm sure you've covered Dance with the Wolves already, but like Dance with the Wolves, I will <laughs> say this, like when we talk about authenticity and specificity, I do think like Kevin Cosner, as much as it is a very much a white safety narrative, and it's like, I love that film, but I also like my guy. <laughs> this is super white savior. But like he tried to make the work, like he, 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 he got, like consultants within certain tribes mm-hmm. specific to get spe- the specific language you know getting people from getting as many native american people who are also canadian indigenous i think graham green's canadian right yeah. canadian indigenous so that i think like so again but that's why it's so similar to Pocahontas. it's like well actually i think dustables might be a little bit <laughs> probably a bit better than Pocahontas in trying to <laughs> navigate that and show the honesty of like the brutality of it because of course it could it's not a children's film um yeah. but yeah it's like how do you I don't know, it's like these swings, it's like, oh, it does this, but ultimately it does that. So it's like, I don't know, it's like balancing that, all those things and thinking, mm, yeah. well, I think that's do a we good, need it? <laughs> a good segue into us getting into some of the behind the scenes because this is this is a very interesting <laughs> yeah. discussion. Um, I think even before we get into a lot of the historical inaccuracies, uh, like we said before, like this is Pocahontas' story has been told and retold and told again through various and sundry different means. So like the first, first, first uh, retelling was through some literature that some people have written, John Smith and some others, but you know, you have John Davis in 1803 and travels in the United States kind of talking about 
Pocahontas, but even then, like we we say that she was a sensation in the UK and England. Like when she went over there, went over there, was kidnapped and brought over there by force. Uh, that they had her in the play The Indian Princess in 1808. Um, but then it continues to go on. There's multiple plays made about her, multiple films made about her. The earliest one, Pocahontas in 1910. Um, and so this was like you know very much so in that same kind of vein of we are taking the story that has been told and retold and almost mythologized by this point, right? Like there's really no disputing the story by the time they get around to it because it's kind of like, Oh, Pocahontas. Right. So the, one of the directors of the film, uh, Mike Gabriel conceived of the film at Thanksgiving when he, of course, appropriately at Thanksgiving, he picked up uh, a book about Pocahontas while over at a relative's house. So like he was trying to get Swan Lake made, but that wasn't happening. So he kind of was flipping through this book, found the story of Pocahontas and said, okay, this seems like something that we can do. Uh, he went to this rapid fire pitch meeting, which was referred to as the gong show and had a lot of like the higher ups at Disney. Um, and he remembers this, in in this manner he says so when my turn came up to present i had done a one sheet color image of pocahontas i stole tiger lily from peter pan because i don't draw women very well i put on the title walt disney's pocahontas and on the back i tape my pitch which is in one sentence if if you can break down your idea from a film into one sentence is a good sign so i had a one sentence that told the whole story the dilemma of the story it was something about an indian princess who was torn between her father's wishes to destroy the english settlers and her wishes to help them a girl caught between her father and her people and her love for the enemy mike leisner got excited about that right then and there and there was enough of a vibe in the room that when it was over people were coming up to me and saying hey i really like that idea that went really well and basically on the spot they greenlit pocahontas um and oh so <laughs> sack of money and say, get out of here make that movie um <laughs> the the thinking... it's so funny that because i've heard people like do pitches like just hearing how he pitched that and hearing yeah. like, like kate heron who pitched to do loki and she did like this massive powerpoint presentation yeah. like all this shit goes into it's like <laughs> oh god the ease of white men <laughs> yeah i just took a picture of another a racist picture. caricature and then i just yeah. taped a thing on the back of it it was like <gasps> What about they this? all look the same, you guys. Like? They all look the same. Yeah. Um, the co-director, Eric Goldberg, was also in the room. And he remembers that one of the reasons they reacted so well to it is that Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg had been searching for some sort of Romeo and Juliet story. When Mike Gabriel said Pocahontas and explained the conflict between the two sides, they went, oh, that's it. So they had been looking to do a Romeo and Juliet type story. Basically said, Pocahontas is close enough. Let's take that and turn it into that. Um, because Romeo and Juliet ends with like double death. <laughs> yeah, this just ends with the entire obliteration. Romeo of, and Juliet, uh, but you know, make it light. <laughs> most of make, it make it fun. Yeah. Make it fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> make it colonial. Uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg <laughs> was obsessed with Disney winning Best Picture, right? Like Beauty and the Beast hadn't been nominated in '91, and he felt that Pocahontas was their next best chance. So he kept talking it up. He kept like telling everybody there that this was going to be a best picture winner so much so that a lot of the original animators from the lion king jumped ship from the lion king to make pocahontas because they felt that was going to be the more prestigious film well big mistake yeah <laughs> huge Hindsight's <laughs> 2020 yeah um but this also resulted in a number of interesting decisions right so katzenberg decided that they needed to age up pocahontas originally again she is Gotta between eight to 10 years old in this movie she's yeah. about 20 years old 
uh, around that. Um, sure. Katzenberg also wanted the animals to be mute. He didn't want any talking animals in this movie, so that's why they're still the animals, but they're doing a lot of pantomime and other shenanigans. Um, and he wanted the love story and the romance between Smith and Pocahontas to be quote unquote mature. Um, and so to this extent, <laughs> um, there is uh, a couple of choice quotes from Glenn Keane, who was the animating supervisor on this. And one of the things he says is we're doing a mature love story here and we have to draw her as such. She has to be sexy. And so there is a real intent here. And this is where a lot of native people take umbrage with the film in so much as the depiction of Pocahontas, because this is another sexualization of a native woman so much to the point that in Pocahontas two, when she arrives in London, everybody is thirsty for her, right? Like people are like, who is that? What's going on? Woman, come over here. Talk to me. Can I take you somewhere? Can we, you know what I mean? And even like her, uh, her bodyguard who is there to protect her is also sexualized and objectified immediately when he steps off the boat and everybody's like, Ooh, look at this, this, this tall, dark man. Like, you know, what's going on with him? Voiced by, um, Brad, what's his name? Is it Gefferman? The guy who was in Everybody Loves Raymond's brother. (laughs) (laughs) Who is not native. He's Jewish. Brad Garrett. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But that's so interesting what you said about that because, like, again, this points to like the over sexualization of the women of color yeah. in in this. Because if you look at Esmeralda, who is oh in God. Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. so this is an interesting fact. Uh, one thing I discovered was, um, you know, one in in the behind the scenes stuff that, that that director said. He said, "Oh, we wanted to make it look like she's been around a bit." Mm. <laughs> exactly oh. what he said. And like, she has a scene where she's dancing and they give her a pole to dance yeah. around, right? So they make her a pole dancer. Yeah. And she was she had a Disney princess status stripped, I believe, because no one would buy her dolls because she was too sexualized. So they took her, so they basically slut-shamed Esmeralda mm. out of being a Disney princess anymore. So like, Damn. yeah, it's like, it's mad. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. It's cra- um, they did a lot of other interesting things with this movie more more or less talking about the history of it right because when they started to do it they wanted an authentic voice they had gotten a lot of native actors to voice the native people in the film right they had gotten a lot of historians and uh people of the Powhatans to like speak to them and talk to them and try to get as much information as possible and what they learned was not a palatable disney movie Right. The more they learned about the actual story of Pocahontas, the more they were like, that's not going to sell well. And so um, Keen has another quote here where he said, we have the choice of being historically accurate or socially responsible. So we chose the socially responsible <laughs> side by increasing Pocahontas's age from a girl into a young woman. When you look at the so behind, it's like hilarious. When you look at the yeah, behind the scenes, come, it's not coming out how you thought it was going to come out, bro. When you look at the behind the scenes, there are early animated stills of girl Pocahontas. Like they had started making this with her as a young girl, and then quickly made the decision to age her up so that they could have this romance in there. Uh, they even went to the extent of <laughs> including a deleted scene for a song that was called "If I Never Knew You." which was recorded for the movie, but apparently didn't test well with the younger audiences. So it was cut, but it was basically yeah, happens animated. when Pocahontas comes to visit John Smith before he's set to be executed. And they break into the song basically about how my life 
will never be the same, you know, and if I never knew you and our love will endure forever, which again, it's just like gross when you think about the history, but also gross when you think about even if that was like a real relationship between a colonizing (laughs) force and this woman who again was just minding her own business and now here he's come and basically has taken over her land um yeah i think this is what the sad thing is like socially i mean the only the only good thing i will say about how they change the narrative is not sending him back like giving her yeah letting her live Mm -hmm. right and letting her stay with her tribe i will give them that because i do think that was a good way to end it so that they're not like you know, because again, he didn't. She didn't go with John Smith. I mean, doing the second film kind of fucking ruins it all. Like, mm, you were gonna yeah. give her a revisionist. You know what I mean? It's like you know, in like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like Sharon Tate survives. Sorry, spoiler yeah. alert. It's been out for reviews, but like <laughs> she survives. Like, or like you know, where you know, I feel like that's a good way to do it. But I mm. think just like even just even understanding the original story of, you know, everything about it of this film, it's just kind of so much lies. Like she didn't rescue. Like she wasn't gonna get murdered, John Smith. He no. was never going to get murdered. It was a, it was a miss because again he didn't. Un- there was no magic. <laughs> There's no magic no. to help him understand. He misunderstood everything. He fabricated this whole romance and storyline. She married Coco Wong. Coco Wong got murdered when she got kidnapped by the English settlers who were mm. basically trying to like um, to negotiate the release of some of their prisoners and yep. all this type of stuff. And like it's all this, all this. When you look at the fundamentals of it, it's like you this isn't socially responsible this is historically irresponsible like this is just the worst form of it and so i find it funny that they thought this was socially responsible oh we made her older (laughs) if we if they made like the socially responsible movie they wouldn't have made the movie yes 100 percent. 100 percent. yeah because there's so many there's so many problems inherent into like just telling the story normally there's Mm -hmm. gonna be violence there's gonna be statutory relationships there's going to be colonialism like yeah real things that really happened and really contributed to like the fabric of our nation yet (laughs) they still decided to make the movie and still decided to change so many things yeah this is what i find so uncomfortable like about avatar (laughs) Mm. let's go get get into it get into it that's what's so uncomfortable it's like again it's like the sam worthington i mean it is i mean (laughs) what is it Ferngully. Yep. It's Ferngully. Like, it's... that walked. <laughs> so yeah. that, if I was to go around. But like, that whole thing where it's like, const- that's a white savior narrative. Like, mm-hmm. even though he mm-hmm. becomes, he's, then he's like, now he's wearing like, <laughs> he becomes them, which becomes just even wearing more a uncomfortable. Suit. Yeah. He's yeah. wearing a suit. Like, is that not like the, I don't know, the avatar equivalent of blackface? Like, you are yeah. becoming he's, your appropriate He's literally trying on, he's literally trying on their culture as a costume. Yeah. Which yeah. is and I think, the worst yeah. form, and the I think, worst possible thing he could have did. Yeah, and I think sci-fi has been such a, I don't know, sci-fi is when you can talk about politics without talking about politics about real real people. We all know, like, everything, yeah. all the sci-fi stuff is based in reality and based on real people. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's like, it's interesting that Avatar and I'm making five fucking movies, <laughs> making five mm-hmm. movies about this. It's like, again, who's like, is there going to be any self-reflection yeah, <laughs> on no. this? Because also you have a film, again, like this is about indigenous people. And where are your indigenous people in the cast, in the creative? Like, 
you're telling a story that it feels like, again, just, I know it's not technically, <laughs> they're not technically Native American, but that's what it feels like. This is yeah. what they are. And same way I feel like Dune, it's like, I know they're technically not Arabs, but they fucking are. <laughs> or even on uh, a Gods of Egypt, where your boy yeah. Alex was like, this isn't really Egypt, and we're not really talking about Egypt. So I don't know why everybody's upset, because I know the movie's called Gods of Egypt, but these are not Egyptians. <laughs> it's not, but it's not Egypt, though. No, so I, you're coming I, at me with this energy, but I told you it wasn't Egypt, even though I told you it was Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally a name. I interviewed Jared <laughs> Butler for Geostorm, right? Oh. And, so, and this was like the perfect opportunity because Ed Skrine had just quit his role in Hellboy yeah. 2 because he yes. was going to play a Japanese character. Mm. So I said to him, so I, I was like, oh, Jared. Geostorm, it's such a diverse film. Is that something that you really believe in when you're doing... He was like, when you're doing films, it's like, yeah, yeah, diversity, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, so with that in mind, and given Ed Skrine just gave up his um, role for whitewashing, do you regret doing Gods of Egypt? And he was like, no, no, because, you know, we had, like, we had, like, an Ethiopian fella in the cast and, like, an Egyptian. I'm like... And, you know, I think it was too yeah. harsh, you know, and I was like... We literally read that quote, and I had to go back and get it from three different sources because it sounded like he was having a stroke when I read it back. It's so wild. And you know, when you sat there, it's like, uh, well, I don't want to catch him out, but I'm also like, he goes, I get the point. It's like, I really don't think you got the point. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I don't think there are any Ethiopian or Egyptian actors as the gods. No. <laughs> like, I checked it. I was like, I think there's like, obviously there's Chadwick Bosman who yeah. who plays um, Thoth. Thoth. Is it Thoth? Yeah. Thought, yeah, anyway. Um, and then there's like, I think there's like a Sudanese or Somalian actress. There's a lot of young. A lot of young. Yeah. Oh, well, no, that she's. She's half Cambodian. She, yeah, yeah. Cam Cambodian. But there's another, there's another um, black actress, but I think she's like. Oh. Is she oh, the woman who gets Australian. burned yeah, she's the woman who gets yoked up on a snake and then the yeah. snake explodes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, mate. Like, and this is another thing. It's like your only reference point for like what Africa or Egypt is. It's like you can't accept that the diversity of North Africa would mean there would be other yeah. people from different backgrounds. Yes. But it's like, no, we've got Chadwick Bosman in the cast. We're good. That's enough. <laughs> and he, but he Recycled even it. took the role knowing that he was like, there's not any brown people in this movie. Yeah. And I literally have to take that. I have to take that yeah. one. So there'll as be one. Task. Yeah. 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 Um, well, let's quickly just run through the, the entire history of Pocahontas. So people have the full story. And first of all, I mean, just for, John Smith and Disney, we just have to ask. Why the fuck you lying? Why you always lying? Oh my god. Stop fucking lying. Because it's all it's all lies. Every every bit of it is a lie. The lies. Um, this is the we real story. We know how they act. This is the real story of Pocahontas. Pocahontas, again, when John Smith arrives in 1806, 1807, is eight to ten years old. Uh, she is the daughter of the chief, Chief Houghton. And basically, you know, her mother's name was Pocahontas. Her name was uh, Moatoka. And she had taken the name Pocahontas, which, again, means either, depending on how you want to do it, like playful child or more kind of like, you know, rambunctious child. Um, but she was around. But John Smith probably really wouldn't have been around her, especially in the way that he describes. So... John Smith, one, when you look at real pictures of John Smith, he's real, he's real trash. He doesn't look anything like they tried to animate him in this movie. He's a real scruffy, mid-looking dude in his, like, late 20s. And he's 
also like a prisoner on the ship when they're bringing him over. And the only reason that he gets elevated is because he's had experience with natives before and is somebody that they think, you know, has the ability to either defend or, you know, strategize helping to fend off the native population. And so he goes out to scout, gets captured like a dumbass. Uh, they, th there's a lot of different speculations and things that people want to say, specifically John Smith, who claims that he was taken around and kind of shown like a trophy to all of the tribes. And then they were about to murder him. And that's where Pocahontas comes in and saves his life. In actuality, what a lot of natives claim, right, is that this was just part of a initiation that the chief had thought if I can kind of make him part of our tribe and almost kind of subservient to me, then I have the upper hand in negotiations and, and talking with the English. And so it was really just a, a initiation process that he misinterpreted as them trying to kill him. Pocahontas wasn't there because why would Pocahontas, an eight to 10 year old child and the daughter of the chief be at an execution? <laughs> of a prisoner that doesn't make sense so she <laughs> she's not because there. her grandmother willow told her to follow the arrow follow the compass yes um, but but from there there's a lot of weird sketchy stuff again from john smith alleging that he and pocahontas were around each other and that she was teaching him her language and he was teaching her english who can verify and say uh but what we do know is that john smith again is an idiot and blew himself up in a tobacco accident uh and so <laughs> had to karma, bitch. that yeah. is what they call karma <laughs> uh, or maybe it was a gunpowder accident it was something like that where he basically accidentally blew himself up and had to be taken back to england so he was not there for a long time pogonis grows up right around 14 years old she gets married to coco who is another member of her tribe they have a child together they are living a life together english are still in jamestown they're struggling they're down bad because they don't know how to grow crops they don't know how to get food and so there's tensions growing because the pot and they're kind of like y'all have been here a minute what we really want from you is to like get the guns and the weapons that you have but if you're not going to trade that with us you should leave and they were on the other side saying, well, we want, you know, you don't maybe have gold, but you have other things that we want the land, you know, we want that. So, you know, we're going to stick around. And there was tension building there. Um, John Smith does not come back, but he does make a note that Pocahontas is the chief's daughter. Right. And so in an attempt to kind of force the chief's hand, they kidnap Pocahontas. Uh, and like Hannah said, Cocoam is, is trying to rescue her. He gets gunned down and killed, uh, their child is taken back and is uh, thankfully rescued by the tribe, so is raised with the tribe. But Pocahontas is basically held hostage. And they make the threat of like, hey, you can get your daughter back if you you know, give us back some of our weapons and give us back some of our people. And the partner like, okay, that sounds good. And the English are like, actually, no, psych, we're going to take Pocahontas because <laughs> we think that there's you know other value and use for her. So... This is where things get really dark and really grim. And, uh, you know, if the Disney people read this, they just said, mm, we're going to not even get into this. Pohokahanas um, tells people, right, you know, when she meets them again, when she's become Rebecca, that she's on the ship and she's basically repeatedly raped and used as like, because they don't see her as a human being, right? She's just kind of property of the English. Um, she's taken over. They see an opportunity to use her as an in with the native people, but 
obviously certain things can't be done because she's not a Christian, right? And so they force her into Christianity. They baptize her. They rename her Rebecca. Um, and a tobacco tradesman, John Rolfe, uh, takes an interest in her, more so not because of anything having to do with Pocahontas, but because he realizes that tobacco is such a big crop and a potential industry boom. And the Powhatan have basically come up with a method of growing tobacco that's even better than the Spanish, right? And so what he wants is to marry Pocahontas so that he can get that recipe from Pocahontas because now that they're married, he's entitled to family secrets, right? So he does that. He gets the secrets. He makes tobacco a big, big, big thing in Virginia, right? And then Pocahontas is basically paraded around England as like, look at this like we we civilized one of them right like she is like an example of somebody that you can use to say there's there's hope to make them you know christians there's hope to make them uh subservient to us you know through religion and through other things and so she becomes basically like this mascot for not only the virginia trading company right like her face is literally on tobacco that they sell she's used as like promotional but then Family members like claim to have seen Pocahontas right before she has died, right? They had gotten the chance to visit her in England. They saw her. They claim that she was healthy, that she was well, that everything was great. She had the dinner. She's coming back on the ship to Virginia, as uh, John Wolfe was promised, mysteriously dies. People claim food poisoning. Natives and Pocahontas's immediate family claim that she was poisoned. Uh, specifically because now that she has learned English and she is like kind of a bridge between the two, they fear that if she goes back to uh, Virginia, she could be used as like, so she knows secrets now. She knows things about England and things that could be used against them. And so she can't be allowed to go back. She is, they claim she is assassinated, right? Her child is also on the ship, also falls ill in a similar manner manages to survive but john rolf now that he has everything that he wants doesn't want the child anymore throws the child off with just some random dude that he knows abandons him goes back to virginia the child is finally taken in by john rolf's brother who has to sue him to get like money to raise the child um and finally thomas is allowed years later after john rolf dies because he inherits all of the land in virginia gets to go back he can't see his family because it is not allowed for people from the Jamestown colony to mingle with, um, you know, the native people. Right. So like, even after all that, he finally gets a chance to meet his family. They say, you can't do that because you are English and like, aren't allowed to mingle with your family, even though they probably are your biological family. Um, isn't that so sad? Like, I feel like that's such like a mixed experience of like being othered by both sides of your kind of like heritage. Like, you don't fit in, and then also like yes. the trauma of like understanding of like being rejected, knowing your history of your mother. Like, what a legacy! Because obviously, there's people who are like ancestors still today. Uh, of that, it's like what a troubling legacy yeah. that is. So that's the real story of Pocahontas, right? Like that's nothing close to what we watched in this movie. Easily one of the saddest American like legend stories to exist. Didn't Terrence, so Terrence Malick's version adopts the romanticized version, right? Yeah. Oh, the new the, world, yes. The new world, yeah. new world. And you're like, Terrence, 
I expected more. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, thus far, there hasn't really been a telling of Pocahontas in a big budget Hollywood film that has really addressed the actualities of the what truth. she went through. Because a lot of people view her as, you know, this, this symbol, even literally in the capital of the United States, there are three different images of Pocahontas etched onto the ceiling. One of them being her throwing her body over John Smith to protect him from being executed. Right. Mm -hmm. So like literally in the government building of the United States of America, the myth is being, you know, perpetrated continuously. Can you just imagine if like, I'm just like imagining the Reddit thread sort of tweet. Yeah. Like they actually did the true story. It's like, why are you changing history? Oh, this is work. Yeah. It's like, no, it's the real truth. Like, why are you making, why are you making Pokemon just political? <laughs> like, well, the- I could just imagine the reaction of it. And this is why you could never do a live action because you would never get away with it. Well, you could never do a live action. Uh, let me find the exact quote, but asked if it would be possible to do a live action film. Alan Menken, who did the music for Pocahontas, uh, said that no, like it would be impossible <laughs> to do that due to modern sensibilities. And so like, it's it's strange that this movie, again, continues to endure and continues to be part of the Disney legacy. She continues to be a prominent Disney princess. And yet, you know, the history, very open, very like well-known enough to the point where people know that maybe not the ins and outs and the intricacies of the story, but they know that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it's kind of continued to be, and Disney has not said, oops, sorry, or, hey, we're going to like work to change this or make it better. Or, hey, we're going to make a new film with yeah. native people that is going to kind of not necessarily replace Pocahontas, but like in addition to tell a story that's probably more, you know, better representative has more of a story that native people can look at and say, yes, because like Pocahontas, while being a hero in native circles is also like not like a feel good story, you know, of like native she's triumph. And like, heroine. yeah, <laughs> like, she's like a hero for everything that she suffered for. That's why yeah. she celebrates so this false image of her must be quite upsetting. It and is. I think like, I think the difficulty as well, especially with indigenous representation, I mean, so the awkwardness of having reservation docs, yeah. like on Disney plus and then also Pocahontas. It's like, if you got rid <laughs> If you think about it, if you really, if you really went back in history and like got rid of every time, like any time Indigenous people are represented, you would barely have any films left if there was an actual like decent, right. accurate representation. And then what also you have, and it's sort of a little bit kind of like wary about that new movie Prey, which is like the Predator spinoff, yep. but set back. It's like we constantly situate Indigenous people in the past, mm-hmm. and I think I've spoken to Indigenous critics stuff. They say the same thing. It's like. We are around today. Yep. We are living in communities. Yeah, sure, they're smaller and stuff like that, but we still exist. We have there's this constant idea of like separating them, kind of calcifying them in the past. And it just like that's that becomes like they're these historical artifacts rather than actual here people who deserve to have stories tell. So it's like as much as it'd be great to have like I like a film about the real story of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe if they didn't, maybe if they did it in like a kind of like someone looking back at a history and like do a present day, you know what I mean? Like well, let's, let's reimagine that. it. I mean, what, what would you say? Would you say that Pocahontas is something that you could figure out a way to do in an honest, true retelling? Or do you feel like this is something that you can't really remake? Maybe, maybe you can, but definitely not in the Disney way. Like no way. You, 
you couldn't do it as a children's story because it's violent um, and tragic and harrowing, mm. everything she goes through. Well, well, I would, you know, if you were going to do it anyway, you know, oh God, how many times do you get these? We've got a million like mini series about like the Tudors or like yeah. oh, queens yeah. and all this like you know love they got obsessed with this it's like what about like an actual limited series where it's like National Geographic or you know like you know what I mean like something like that where they actually take the time to tell the story properly yeah. authentically with char- like with people and show the reality of it you know you want it like you want it like the Underground Railroad right you mm-hmm. want that for that because that's what it's sort of like that's the sort of um, production value and just like money spent on and commitment to telling a really visceral story where it feels like you can celebrate the joy but also not mask the the horror yeah. and torture of yeah. what it was to be that way and fingers crossed people will actually watch it and realize oh shit <laughs> we've been wrong maybe let's not let our kids watch Pocahontas anymore yeah I would say I would never let my children watch Pocahontas or specifically Pocahontas too because I feel they like they can listen to the Disney sing along yeah you know because the it's... Disney sing along that's fine but no film no <laughs> no Cam <laughs> uh, would you remake Pocahontas in any way or would you just say we, we can live without that I kind of wish the new world wasn't the wasted opportunity that it is because it it centers them in the narrative it centers them like you meet the colonizers just as strangely as they did you know Mm -hmm. they were out on the hunt and they saw boats on on the river and soon enough they were on land and soon enough they were talking to them or soon enough they were uh trying to make exchanges with them and i think that's definitely the right way to go about it sadly that movie romances you uh, centers the romantic plot and ends it there and ends it with that same like yeah. uh well not technically the same but in that story Pocahontas goes back to England to find John Smith and like you know hugs up to her and yeah in real life him. when she saw John Smith she like almost attacked him in England and like was just going off on him and he still skated by because he kept telling these stories uh, apparently he had done this before with other native peoples telling stories about young women saving his life and like him having pseudo sexy adventures with like oh, other so young indigenous yeah no he was gross he was the he worst. straight up dirtbag yeah. yeah but i feel like it also kind of just is a real reflection of how that tradition has continued yeah where we constantly have i mean pocahontas what the filmmakers of pocahontas did is exactly what john smith did yeah um and this is why you need to have far more people in the back background creators people to tell their own stories because that way you will you'll avoid this and yeah. i feel like a lot of this stuff i mean it's int- again like i go back to aladdin because guys this is like my only representation <laughs> 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 this is like my only children's like this and sinbad <laughs> like that's about it but like again like interesting with aladdin the thief of baghdad they like um howard ashman based it on that film which is a really like terrible version of it and it's just recommitting that and so instead of and what annoys me is like you know, again, this is only 1995. Mm-hmm. And 99, what was it? like? And again, it takes three years, three or four years to make it. So early in that, it's not yeah. that yeah. far away. It's like a very recent history. So the idea that, like, they didn't try to confront the problematic nature of these stories. They would yeah. rather just, like, continue that. Just really says a lot about 
the lack of care really a lot of white people give about telling these stories in a way that me is meaningful because again who is the audience yeah. not the people they're writing about not the right. people they're talking no. about it's, and so so i think this is what has to come through the only way you could ever tell this again is every single person behind the scenes oh. has to be someone and again it's not you know not say again indigenous people get it totally like, like all filmmakers are great and they're gonna get it right but it's like yeah having that under cultural understanding and a cultural respect mm -hmm. and compassion is lacking from so many of these white savior films. Well, it's very interesting and, because um, people have looked at Moana and said, that's basically Pocahontas, right? Like there's a young girl who is kind of torn between like who she wants to be and then growing up within her culture her she has got a ghost grandma that's telling her you know go go find <laughs> your way and uh <laughs> you know kind of do what you want to do she discovers um you know that there's this kind of this this coming threat you know that she's got a face that is looking for shiny things and gold things and she's got to kind of repel that threat find her power they're both very much drawn to the water like a lot of like really like you know, direct and loose ties to Pocahontas and Moana. And that's a movie where they did bring on more and more, you know, people of, uh, you know, Samoan and, and Poly Polynesian Polynesia. background to like talk about and do that. Even though, again, there's some things that you can, you know, nitpick for. Even like Taika Waititi was supposed to originally do Moana and then was kind of like, mm. <laughs> I don't know. So, um, but like, wow. it's a much better attempt yeah. at doing the story because they took direct like the people directly involved with it were from the culture and had direct input into it again mm -hmm. people have issues because like at the very top still white people right like there's only so much that yeah. you can do in that space where you're still going to have to placate either to the disney uh aesthetic or like just not going too far because there's even stuff in lilo and stitch some deleted scenes where uh the tourists are like basically saying racist things <laughs> uh to lilo like while she's walking around they're asking her if she speaks english they're like uh you know kind of throwing trash out of the side of the road that's like hating her and like uh she calls them terrorists and like tells them to leave um so there's stuff like that where it's like you can tell they're kind of on the right track you know what i mean but it's just like will they be allowed to do that in a movie they make probably the not yeah but i think yeah. the Moana, the difference with Moana, and i think you're right but i think the difference with moana is that like you take the white people out of it and exactly. it becomes specifically you don't have the racial conflict there's no right. there's no like her wanting what i love about the film it's about like how she this tribe were navigators they went onto the sea and it's about coming back to the tradition, like mm -hmm. finding that together. And I think that's really powerful. Taking the romance out of it as well. Yep. You know, all of those things make it feel far, 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 far better than anything. <laughs> like, so I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like this, But then also this is just the Disney formula. So what you're yeah. pointing out is Disney formula. Like, well, even, it's the fairy godmother. Do you yeah, know what I mean? A Cinderella, couple of years, you know? A couple of years after Pocahontas, they make Brother Bear, which people yeah. also had a lot of problems with because it was... <laughs> Not accurate at all. Uh, and so, like, Disney just has this history of, like, one step forward, two steps back sometimes in terms of representation. Although, very recently, we can point to a lot of things, specifically stuff like Turning Red, specifically stuff like Encanto, and then obviously oh, Turning Moana. Red, Encanto, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, they're getting more and more on the right track where it's, like, the more that we get out of the way, 
you know, and let let the people whose stories these actually are have ownership over it and tell the stories, you know, yeah. that's the better version. And I, I agree, Hana, that like I'm always just like, let's where can we tell these stories that feels the most accurate? Because if we take it all the way back and we have a Pocahontas like story before any colonizers show up, like that could be really interesting and really fun. But also, we are kind of putting them in the past as if they don't exist today. Um, it is tricky because, like, you don't necessarily want to tell another reservation story uh, where it's just like, you know, here's more <laughs> Native people kind of existing on the margins of society. Although, you know, again, a turning red type story taking place on a reservation could also be a lot of fun. Um, but I think that's really just up to Native people to decide how they want to be portrayed and the stories that they want to tell. So allowing them to be in the room and get a chance to say, hey, these are the stories that we have, whether we want to take it directly from our mythology or whether we want to take it from a modern day perspective and tell a story that takes place today with you know younger people with children and kind of give them something to look to. Because again, your options are real limited. <laughs> As well, you're a, also limited with with the gatekeepers about saying this yeah. is the type of movie we only want you for. We only want you talking about this. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the only thing you get across. Like, like that. So even if you wanted to do a film that was like, hey, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm just like, just say you wanted to do one of these, um, those those Netflix Hallmark movie love romantic comedy types of things. Yeah. If you just wanted to have like an indigenous person be the romantic lead and then just like live in their life, like, and it's like. Oh, I don't know if that works. Do you know what I mean? It always yeah. has to have because sometimes that's the diversity. There's like this monolithic paintbrush we like to do com like communities, ethnic communities. It's like you know, like I'm half Tunisian. Like I am not Muslim. I did not get. I got raised in like a white house. I don't know my biological father. But like I don't have all this culture, but that doesn't mean that I'm not. Mm -hmm. I don't not deserve. That. Like I'm not half Tunisian. Like I don't deserve to see that on screen. Like yeah. you know, as much as it's cool, like seeing like. You know, I think a lot about like when, oh yeah, we see an Arab girl, like she's got to be Muslim, she's got this, like, yeah, that's great to have that, but like, that's the only way we ever see mm -hmm. these, these people. So I think it's like, we need to, it's the gatekeepers who finance. And again, they're all, most of them are white. Yeah. So they're mm -hmm. saying, we only see you and it's very slim parameters of what we want stories from your world tour. So of course, yeah, yeah cool, do the reservation stories, but then... You know, there's some things that, I mean, there's a great film called Beans, which is like by Tracy Deer, and it's like a yeah. Canadian indigenous. And I love that. It's a coming of age story. And it's like on a reservation, but then also situated within like the kind of like, like a political kind of backdrop of issues between a local like French community and the indigenous people. And like about, there was a golf cup, the golf, it's kind of based on the real story of like what happened in a certain period during the eighties. Yeah. So a lot of people are talking about their own experiences, but I think that's, you know, there has to be a point where like, you know, we can just get past that and just like say, hey, let's just do like heat. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's just, well, you know, I, some I guy living in the out. city. Yeah, there's a film called Blood Quantum, uh, which I came out in 2019, film. which is basically like a indigenous zombie film. Yeah. Which is just great. like, give us more of that. Give us more just like. Wild Indian. I think that was one. And it has, um, oh, forgive me. Let me just get, sorry. Can I just like Google quickly it, yeah. find the name of it? Because I feel it's really bad that I know the name. I know Jesse Eisenberg's <laughs> the bad thing of like only knowing who the white person is in it um so no i know this because michael gray eyes he's like he was in that movie that uh jessica chastain yeah uh so he what was that what was, oh god it was about um sitting bull and she's like the white savior in it she paints him you know that's the thing but michael gray eyes 
in Wild, Wild Indian is like a really interesting one where like his wife is Kate Bosworth, like the kind of like he, there's something's happened in his past, but now he lives a very corporate lifestyle, and like that's a really interesting way of like like a thriller, but it kind of like balances this kind of someone's heritage and their background, but also situating them very much in this like you know suburban <laughs> white mm-hmm. environment, which so is actually, really interesting. So I got a question for you guys then. Um, now that we've discussed uh, diverse stories existing in like genres, uh, genre stories and things like that, and we talked about Prey earlier, would you be excited for Prey, even though we've kind of like crystallized them in the past in this in this yeah. situation? But the the story is centrally about them. So sure, are you interested? Like, in, are you excited about that? For that sense, I mean. <sighs> Like I'm, I'm, I'm really supportive of all the people who are indigenous who get to work on that movie. But who's directing yeah. it? Dan Trachtenberg. Like, yep. yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, yep. who are the people? It's what we've talked about again. Who are the people who make it? Right. Mm, mm. Yeah. So like, it's not me negging on a film that's going to have, and I know a lot of people are excited about it. But also, like, you know, I'm a critic. I'm subjective. No one has to sure. have the same opinions about stuff. So like, as much as. I think cool, okay, but also even fundamentally the premise of it <laughs> seems a bit yeah. questionable. Anyway, and I think they're trying to trace it back to like one of the characters in the original Predator. This is like the tribe that he was descended from. Mm-hmm. I think if I've read the like the email press release that I got, I don't know. But yeah, so I can be, I can be. I'm, I'm gonna see the film, but to be honest, after seeing the last Predator film, I'm not excited. I think that's <laughs> because, the problem. Is that yeah. like just the Predator track record? Not great. Yeah. After not great. original, oh, well, Predator Two is a crazy Predator movie. Predator vs. Aliens was actually quite cool. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that one. <laughs> but they, yeah, they haven't had a good run recently, and like, I just don't know how much of this movie. I think we put a lot of expectations on things sometimes because we're just like, oh, we don't have we're getting one, and now we have, and so this needs to yeah. be X, Y, and Z. Where it's just like, if it's a fun, dumb movie, like. We should be allowed to have those as well, you know, star in those and be a part of just like, you know, dumb action films. But at the same time, I feel like this one is trying to be a serious film in a way that I don't know if Predator and what they want to do is going to mix in a way specifically again, like if there's not a strong indigenous presence behind the scenes to kind of guide and direct and make sure that we're not getting, you know, more kind of stereotypical things and i think that they're they're doing their best to stay away from it but a lot of the times best intentions don't necessarily always (laughs) i think best intentions got us here to this podcast today intentions (laughs) versus impact right and i also just think like i think a lot of people said that at this point with this ip franchise culture we're in remakes and Mm -hmm. all this it's like instead of having to like do the same bit and then give like just do another film, but we have more representation. Tell new stories. Tell original yeah. stories, you know? That's part um, of the, the trick is that a lot of the stuff has to be tied into existing IP. And so yeah. you're kind of, you know, stuck with the remnants of that as opposed to, like... But then it also creates yeah. plot holes. That's yeah. why I think it's so ridiculous. Like, looking at the Obi- sorry, Obi-Wan Kenobi series, it's like, okay, dude, like, you you said, like, the boy is the only one in, like, in the later things. You said, you say, like got so much focus on Luke Skywalker. If you spent this much time with Leia, why is she not, why did you mm. not recognize that she's forced sense? Sorry, I'm getting like a little segue, but it's like, <laughs> when, you, when you do so many films in a franchise and you cre- add all these new stories, you create more problems that don't really add up. 
So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, very quickly, I want to get both of you guys out of here on our favorite game and then uh, re-ima- not reimagining, putting this movie on our Caucasian ranking scale. And so, uh, Hannah, our favorite game here is we like to go through each of the different aggregate review sites and see how people responded to these films. And so we're going to start with IMDb uh, and let us know what you think currently Pocahontas has out of 10 on IMDb. Okay. Um, 8.3. Okay. Cam? You didn't even think. You just went. I just I feel like, like it's going to be that. I just feel like a lot of, lot of what people have a nostalgic love for this film. That's real. That's real. Uh, I want to say 7.2. 6.7. 7. Wow. So a little Damn, bit lower than, than both of you thought. Oh, um, wow. A lot of new people found this film on Disney Plus. And sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it, part of it is, and we didn't get to, to really speak on this as much, but like Pocahontas is a beautifully animated film as well. Like the animation that went into this, specifically the colors of the wind sequence and some of the other things are like top It's like pastel Disney, work. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it's pastel work and like mm. the composition of the... Uh, honestly, I could have gone into that sequence for like 20 minutes, but I just yeah. thought the <laughs> like the, the choice to use pastels in the wind and the choice to like make all the transitions like tie in with the lyrics and tie in with the visual motif. It was like, this is actually like very forward thinking stuff. Yeah. But then the rest of the movie happens to be the rest of the movie yeah, and spends more time like watching this raccoon and pug fight than actually like trying to dig into the actual story that we're trying to follow here. And it's kind of like, like, like glitter, the movie where it's yeah. like album slaps film. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, not so much. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, and we'll, we'll see this a little bit with the critics too. A lot of people's problems with Pocahontas. Some of them are about the representation, but that some of them are, because of the run that Disney had been on and the expectations of it, this yeah. doesn't have funny talking animals. This doesn't have, you know, the wacky hijinks seem to be kind of bumping up against the serious adult romantic story that they're trying to tell. And so there are these kind of strange tonal back and forth that people are like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening here with this movie. The whole I like movie that is structured the on animals that, though. didn't speak, though. Like, I kind of like that. It, reminded me, it doesn't remind me of Star Wars and was like R2D2. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like yeah. someone can have a character without doing that. And I thought that was kind of. I, I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> well, going over to Rotten Tomatoes, what do we think Pocahontas has out of 100%? Maybe like, now I've done the IMDb, are we doing critic or audience score? We're doing the critic score. I reckon around like 63% maybe then. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go 65. Nice even number. Oh, All look right. at you. Like two above. Yeah. Price is right rules. Uh, 55%. Ah! Yes. So... So you you win, know, you win the car. It was, you it was a, jar again, mayonnaise. a little bit of back and forth. Um, I don't even like mayonnaise. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It's tricky. Again, IMD, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has a lot of like modern reviews mixed in with older reviews. And so yeah. it's hard to tell, yeah. you know, for films like this, what the immediate reception was. Although it was a little bit of both. There were people who praised the film's animation. They praised the film's songs. They praised you know, like the the love story between the two. And then there's other people who are just like, I thought it was kind of boring. It felt like they were trying too hard to kind of get another Oscar film out there. Um, and so you kind of got this weird, you know, back and forth 
mixed reviews between critics. Audience score is 64%. So, um, right in the middle. Yeah. Right in the middle. There we go. Uh, but finally, we end with Amazon, our absolute favorite, Amazon.com. What do you think out of five stars Pocahontas has on Amazon? Like, I don't trust Amazon. I feel like yeah. four and a half stars. <laughs> you are right not to trust them. <laughs> uh, Cam? Yeah, I'm going to say same, four and a half. It is four and a half. It's 4.7 <gasps> oh. out of five, <gasps> technically. Um, you eight... can always trust Prime users. Yeah. <laughs> 85% to love five star ratings. <laughs> yeah. um, same thing. I mean, we're getting a lot of nostalgia vibes here. People really, you know, thinking about their childhood, digging back into it and talking about how great it is to watch this movie with their children, which I, again, don't think is a wise choice, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. how they feel. Um, well, we, we have to get this on our caucasity ranking scale. So, Hannah, we have three levels of caucasity uh, that we rank these movies on. The first level is shorts in the winter. Uh, we're not quite sure if there's a if there's a culture ex- exchange here, where oh, like this is it's also... like well, shorts in winter or like sandals in winter, right? Yeah, yeah, same deal. You know, like it's toes clearly... out. <laughs> it's clearly cold outside. You know, I am wearing a North Face jacket and boots and scarf and gloves and all these other things, and yet I see you in you know your uh your Billabong shorts. Or whatever else you have on. No, at uni, it used to be lads, 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 um, who would like wear the Jack Quills. I don't know if you had Jack Quills, but Jack Quills hmm. like super posh boy. Okay. Kind of like Jack Quills at university outfits. Oh, All right. <laughs> Sorry. But, like, but they'd go turn up to le- lectures with like Jack Quills hoodie, like tartan, plaid, pajama bottoms, flip flops, hmm. and then like a beanie. And you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Get Problematic. dressed. <laughs> Problematic. But yeah, we just, they were all the same white rugby boys, you know what I mean? It's like, oh God. So, but yeah. we know that it's cold outside, and yet you have made a decision against everyone's better judgment to show up uh, like this. And so this isn't a film that's hurting me, but I do question your decision-making. There's something strange going on here. I'm not quite sure if you're okay, uh, but again, I am not necessarily hurt by this film. Is this like the lowest, or is this, this, this is like the lowest level? This lowest. is the lowest. So, like, as in lowest as the best, least caucastic. Yeah, the least caucastic, the least harmful, the least caucastic. Yeah, least caucastic. Cam, what's the second level? Second level of caucastity is this movie is touching my hair. So this <laughs> this movie probably didn't ask to touch your hair. There's fingers already in it. You've got a problem now. It's invaded your space. And it's an offense at this point, but it's not a huge offense. It's just an offense. Um, The third level of caucasity, boy, we've got a lot going on this week uh, coming off the heels of Juneteenth. Um, A lot of things to get into. I mean, could it be just a a couple of random guys showing up uh, on the corner of a Juneteenth celebration in Tennessee wearing their you will not replace us shirts? Uh, you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. and, and people just kind of like, huh? I wonder what's going on here. Uh, but it's I feel only like, like though this is like for Pocahontas. I feel like it's what you said, like Camel about like I don't know if we I don't know if we said this when we started recording, but it's like two white women saying happy Juneteenth to each other. That's what yeah. this film is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. the caucasity level I think of this film. So maybe that's like in between. Don't touch my hair. And you can't replace us at yeah. <laughs> So it's like a um, point five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's also the uh the boys Reddit thread in which 
Uh, oh my god! A lot of white people have this, suddenly so no. discovered what the show is actually about. Oh yes, yes, melting oh down. Uh, I'm watching the Twitter discourse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot. How of, did they not know? Like I don't know. <laughs> That's literally the first season. Is like the big is the big reveal. Is that like Homelander's a scumbag? Spoiler it's, alert. It's the tweet that said told Star Wars to stop being political. Yeah. Oh <laughs> They're god, like, oh my god. It, there's war in the name. <laughs> <laughs> there were wars going on in the yeah. stars. I don't know if you were aware. Conflict was conflict was you... happening. There we go. Uh, and then the last one, uh, I will find this this video for you. But there is a white TikToker out there uh, who is giving everybody a new way to go about their hygiene, and that's just oh. water for everything. Water, water. I seen him. Yeah, we're just gonna wash our hair. No shampoo. We're just going to brush our teeth, no toothpaste. Deodorant, uh, I don't need that. Yeah, just splash some water under there. He's got uh, the nerve to be loud, too. <laughs> like, he's screaming this whole TikTok. He's like, I don't need deodorant. Why do I need deodorant? Toothpaste. Water on them pearly whites. Get that plaque off of there. You don't need any of that. I don't have bad breath because I eat good. I have a good diet. Well, his, his, his theory is the diet, and his diet is literally just red meat. So, like, this is what people... Ew, what? Is How is that possible? That, <laughs> you should another... smell like... Gunk. <laughs> well, so this is another way that people are very selective of what they want historical accuracy on, like, period films are. Like, people will get mad if you cast, like, um, I don't know, Jodie Turner-Smith as Anne Boleyn. Mm. But they won't care that everyone's got perfect teeth. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. they, everyone during these eras had terrible teeth, stunk. <laughs> yep. And it's like, this is Everybody the smell bad. They don't, they... And this is like, they don't want this, like, they happily have that. And so they watch these things. It's like, we don't need this. Like, mate, <laughs> these are why we call it progress. This is yes. what we call innovation. Like, you know what? Just, you probably, he probably doesn't even take, it's not even vaccinated. Like, someone like that. Oh, no, like, no, no. oh your no. boy is all about them antibodies. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I'm please strong. enjoy your COVID. <laughs> and you're yeah. very smelly. But <laughs> this like, is... Please enjoy your, when, you, when you're done and you're suddenly like, oh, shit, I need, like, fillings and all this bullshit. It's like, okay. Yeah, not also notice it's not for you. <laughs> notice his girlfriend in that TikTok is like feet away from yes. like at least 20, 30 yards away from him. Yes. For a but reason. This level of cuckacity is you know exactly what you're doing. You know yes. what I mean? This is not a mistake. This is not good intentions gone wrong. This is you had full knowledge of what this was and you went along and you did it anyways. Um well, then I think we have to go with that one, though, don't we? Because yeah. from what you've said from yeah. our behind-the-scenes sets, and I was like, oh, it could be well-intentioned. But really, it's not, because as you said, they did all the research. They did the work, and they were like, <laughs> now throw it away. <laughs> so they literally admitted to their own bullshit. It's like one. the Elmo thing. It's like the fire in the background mm -hmm. is like the truth. It's like, The Rah! fire in the background, Elmo, it's like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I we're going to have to go with that one. I got to agree. I mean, yeah, I, we we didn't get to talk about Pocahontas too, but just brief notes. Pocahontas willingly goes to England and Pocahontas <laughs> too because she needs to, well, because John Rolfe negs her into going. Like, she's like, oh, yeah, like somebody should go to England. He's like, well, not you because you're a woman. And she's like, I'm going to go to England. And she goes and, uh, you know, at first they're playing hard to get, but then John Rolfe like tells somebody off on the ship, and she's like, "I love this man," uh, and they immediately like, "I love Billy Zane and his very <laughs> weird accent." <laughs> they fall into this this 
proto relationship and then like pocahontas sees england falls in love with england sees english clothes falls in love with english clothes throws her necklace away puts powder on her face she uh, throws that necklace away she throws yeah. her mother's necklace away yeah she doesn't I want the it necklace anymore broke. <laughs> no she took it off and then like the, the john rolf no. like hands her a new necklace and no, she's like in the oh. first movie in the first movie it broke remember like copalom dies and yeah. he's like grabs onto her necklace like oh. pulls it off i guess the magic of the earth put it back together for her to have grandmother um, willow sewed it up for her <laughs> yeah there's just a lot of stuff like that then she like john rolf and john smith fight over her love and she ultimately like chooses john rolf and then they f- sail back to virginia together uh john rolf talking about we're gonna make a new life together nope he had other plans so no. you know he, I mean, and also as we know as the history is that his first wife and child dialed on the way to virginia yep I don't want to say this is a staircase situation, but yeah. <laughs> questions <laughs> should be asked. <laughs> yeah, just just so y'all know. Yeah. Cam, are you going third level too, I assume? Yeah, I'm going to white women congratulating themselves over Juneteenth. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going there. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, well, Hannah, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining this us. Great. Uh, Thank you so much. I just, it's like, <laughs> it's like a really weird, like, guilty pleasure bittersweet pleasure to talk about white saviors because oh, it's boy. just so ridiculous and it's like gets me so riled up Look, this is... <laughs> and there's so many you'll never end this we've... podcast will never don't end. don't we know it we've committed <laughs> ourselves to something and i don't know i think we had an understanding in the beginning of like how deep the rabbit hole could go and then we watched yeah. white man's burden and then we were like oh god we have <laughs> no idea like we literally <laughs> enter open the door and we were like Oh wow, the demons are just flying yeah. a foot in here, just just everywhere. So you're you're definitely always welcome back to talk more because yeah, we, come we're on never back, gonna please. run out. But um, <laughs> before you go, please let everybody know where they can find you, what they should be looking out for, what you're working on. Yeah, so uh you can find me on Twitter at Hannah Flint without an H on the end. And um yeah, I'm doing stuff with MTV movies, we're doing some specials, we've got a Thor one coming up, super excited. Um, coming up soon this year, I've got kind of a big literary thing project (laughs) coming out. And if you enjoy me talking about the things on this podcast, you're going (laughs) to love this. Yeah. (laughs) This more. Yes. (laughs) Expanded. (laughs) So yeah, no, I'm excited. So I will happily, I'll share more details too. But guys, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. What a great show. Plug the, plug the podcast too, where people can find you. Yeah. Oh God, yes. God, I should do that as well. So uh, I do a weekly podcast uh, with my fellow critics, Amon Warman and Clarice Lockery. It's called Fade to Black. Um, And you can find that anywhere you find podcast things. And uh, we've just done season one of the First Film Club podcast where we speak to people about the first films uh, they've made. So we've had on like Fran Kranz talking about his directorial debut, um, Mass, had on really good friend, casting casting director Carmel Cochran talking about her first film, Lilting. And we even had on Michael Lehman who directed Heathers and that's his like first feature film, which is crazy, but it's a really cool chat. So we've got season two that's going to be coming hopefully later this year. But yeah. Awesome. Find me there. Very cool. And nowhere else. Leave me alone. (laughs) 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 No unsolicited DMs, please. (laughs) Um, Cameron, what do you have going on? Um, you can find me on the tweets and the IGs at the blipster 1138. Um, this week you can find me at my job working on Juneteenth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. 
what a joy. But you know what? We, we smiling all the way through it. There you go. Um, do you get double pay at least? We going to hold some. Wait, you don't do that. In the UK, if you work on like a, on a holiday, you get double pay? We get time and a half. Oh, okay. Well... So. You know, that's your reparations. Other than that, I, I you know, I, I got a movie hitting. Well, it's so this will air after the fact, but you know, I got a movie at BAM Cinema Fest this year. Fernie and Luca, come check us out at the Brooklyn Academy of Music this week. Um, Congratulations! So that's uh, thank you, thank you. This is like my first. Uh, kind of big supporting role in like a little while so i'm excited i'm excited i'm excited and i think my mom's coming up so Hell yeah it's, it's a party <laughs> um other than that go find my sketch comedy group to karen with love on youtube and yeah uh let's make some stuff yeah yeah um i'm jordan clark you can find me on twitter and instagram at jrsosa18 jrsosa18 um, comic book stuff coming out. Samurai Sonia is in stores now. Uh, the Red Sonia fairy tale story is coming out August eighteenth, so cool. uh, and then hopefully we'll have more stuff. I've been talking about more stuff with some people, so hopefully that stuff will be coming out uh, sometime this year, maybe sometime early next year. Um, but if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at white underscore pod on Twitter. If you have any recommendations, if you want to send us some caucasity, if you have uh, <laughs> thoughts on some films. Um, you can also reach us at white people won't save you pod at gmail.com. Always happy to get your emails. Always happy to read your thoughts about, you know, the show and everything else going on. If you would be so kind, you can always rate review, uh, and, uh, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Uh, but that's it for us this week. See you guys next week with more capacity. Peace. Peace. Do I do it? Peace. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep that in. <laughs> You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved.